welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 105. I'm, of course, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again tonight are a pair of my teammates, we have one teammate on his way. We'll get to reason why here in just a second. But joining us again, Peyton Burton, Corey Gardner, and of course, like I mentioned, Phil will be here. What is up, fellas? It's tournament time. Man, oh man. This is my favorite time of the year. I don't give a damn what anybody has to say. I kind of mentioned it last week. This is the best sporting event in the world. By far, like I'm a huge soccer fan. I think the World Cup is probably the biggest, probably bigger than this. But as far as best gets you most hype, listen, I woke up that first day on Thursday morning. I woke up about eight in the morning, four hours before games started tipping off. And I felt that anxious feeling. Yeah, I know Louisville didn't make the tournament. I don't really give a damn. Because one thing I do know, and we'll talk about it here a little bit, this was a huge week for me. And as a Louisville fan, I'm excited. <laughs> How about St. Peter's? How about St. Peter's? Hey, no, no, no. Let me go. I've heard it. You talked about Louisville not making the tournament a couple weeks ago and stuff like that and blaming shit on Louisville. It's my turn to make fun of y'all. Let me get it out of the way now. That way we can talk about the game and I can be – you know, non-biased. Well, I was going to say, you're going to have your fun. We're going to keep that for here in just a little bit. I was just make sure you didn't bury the lead on that. No, no, no. no. I'm not going to talk about the game. All I was going to say is – you guys got beat by a team that has, in their school name, they have Peter, and in their nickname, they got Cock. So I'm just going to say Kentucky got dicked on in that game, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, literally the whole state of Kentucky, we'll get to that. Hey, yeah. as always, ladies and gentlemen, we are live right now on the Facebook group, on the Twitter, and on the YouTube page. If you're watching us live right now, drop those comments below. Follow along as we go along with episode 105, reviewing the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament and previewing the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight matchups upcoming this week. We'll answer your questions if you leave them. We'll read your comments, show them in the live stream. So make sure you're following along with us. I'll also be remiss if we didn't shout out our title sponsor for today's episode, J.R. Rowan Company from New View Painting. If you're in the state of Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, anywhere in the surrounding regions touching the state of Indiana, hit up J.R. Rowe on Facebook and tell him the ECB sent you for New View Painting. Um, and we had our first Facebook comment rolling. Got dicked. Bunch of laughing faces. So that's a big <laughs> hit right there. Um, Corey, before we kind of get into all the first round, second round action and all that, your initial thoughts the fact that we are already one week into the tournament. I tell you, it's great to be back. I know I've been missing for a couple of weeks. Uh, like Peyton said, this is the best time of the year. I call it the crossover season. Basketball's finishing up. Baseball's kind of getting rolling. But, man, oh, man, it feels great to be back into March and celebrating March Madness, especially with Indiana making the tournament. Uh, unfortunately, they're sitting at home with Kentucky now. Because Kentucky yeah. got beat also. Yeah, you know, hey, we're, we at least made it back in. Now it's going to start, you know, building towards, you know, making it further. But, uh, no, it felt great. I tell you, I love being back, uh, being back around this time of the year for sure. Yeah, um, man, first of all, Phil, like I mentioned, he's on his way. He was actually leaving the arena. He was at North Carolina State's women's second-round action. They did beat Kansas State to move on to the Ladies' Sweet 16. He was there front row 
covering the game for ECB. So crazy. I can't wait to talk to Phil about that um, and the experiences there. But fellas, did it? Is it just me or does this week and weekend this past week, I guess, with the tournament, did this game feel longer? I feel like normally these games, I know there's always the 9.30 tip time, 9.50 depending, but I swear to God it felt like every day did not end until almost 1 o'clock in the morning. I agree 100%. I feel like, uh, you know, we're canceling practice just to sit there and, you know, make sure that we got a little more college basketball action in down here. But, uh, no, the game sat there and felt like they uh, they were anticipated. They did not disappoint. And it was like you had to wait or stay up until that late night just to sit there and make sure you got to see all that college ball action. So it was pretty sweet, though. Yeah, my biggest thing on this year's March Madness compared to the other ones, especially the one last year, is, yeah, the games definitely felt like they was drawing on more, especially those late-night games, which a couple of them I didn't watch because I was getting too tired. It was like 9 o'clock, 9.30, and I was already tired and didn't feel like watching anymore, so I went to bed and missed a couple of games. But my biggest thing is, like, we've seen some crazy upsets already um, in the first round and the second round, and that's not that hasn't changed. But why I haven't – really seen yet we haven't got like no buses beaters at all like well, we've, seen some, we've seen some good games but we haven't had like rarely any buzzer beaters no game winners nothing like that at all so far in the first couple rounds which is that's kind of weird to think about yeah it's very it, you you kind of those march madness moments typically revolve around buzzer beaters i mean you think about the bryce drew shot for uh, valparaiso over old miss the Western Kentucky shot a number of years back, but there's been some good games. There's been some really boring ones too. It's a kind of a mixed bag before we get into all the other topics. So I got two things I want to bring up. First of all, congratulations, Peyton, your debut episode today of the inside inside the Yum uh, podcast. Um, briefly, I know you debuted it. You streamed it live to our Facebook group, but briefly tell the people what it's about and how they can find it. Oh, it's about the Louisville Cardinals. I got my shirt on, got my hat on. And listen, if you guys know this already, for the last four years we're doing this podcast, I've had a blast. And I've had a blast just talking about college basketball with Josh Cook when he was with us and now with Phil and Corey. And I'm still going to finish the year out. But this is a podcast that I will be doing by myself from here on out for the for the rest of the year, for next year, until going on further. Uh, further. Um, but yeah, the podcast is plenty self-explanatory. Inside the Yum, Louisville plays in the Yum Center. Shout out to Tyler Cook, by the way, because he gave me that name. I was struggling to find a name, and he helped me out with it. So shout out to him. But yeah, it's all about Louisville basketball, not just men's. It's about women's, too, because we got a great women's program down there. All recruiting you can find about Louisville, all that stuff. Inside the Yum Facebook page, go follow it, go like it. Like it. Twitter's inside the young. But yeah. Thank yeah, you. go give it a like. He just dropped his debut episode today. Go give it a, a go give it a listen um after you check our podcast out here tonight. But um and, and and let's clarify real quick. Peyton will still be with us, just not the full-time role. Basically what he's been doing. He'll hop on, he'll talk when he's wanting to, tournament time he'll be on full time. It, it's it's nothing's there before anybody starts anything. Um I do want to talk about something that revolves finally around the tournament games as we wait for Phil to get back home and get on with us. Fellas, we, the collective here at ECB, all year has let everybody know how bad officiating is. And you always have those people who are like, oh, officials doesn't don't decide games. And they don't normally. We don't, we've never been like that. But we've talked about it all season. 
how atrocious officiating across the board in college basketball has been this year. They would get an F minus this season. And finally, it came tournament time, and we've seen some terrible refereeing dictate certain situations in the game that actually led to potential outcomes, stopping runs, helping another team get on a run with some technicals. Finally, other media across the landscape, not named ECB, has opened their eyes, realized college basketball officiating this year is as bad as I've ever seen it. So let's touch on that point, fellas. I mean, we've known about it, them being bad. But, man, for the media to finally call them out, they've been awful this whole season, and this tournament is finally highlighting that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 see, this pissed me in a tough spot here because I, I don't like complaining about the refs. But it feels like every fucking week, every single game I've watched – through the regular season to conference tournaments to now the, the big tournament NCAA March Madness, the refs have just been awful. And it's not even just the fouls that they call. Some of the fouls that they call is kind of bullshit and just makes no sense to me. It's the no calls. It's how they, they dictate a game late in late game situations. I think I'm never. It might have been episode 100 when I was on it, or it might have been before that. But I think Coy's actually he brought this up that. It might have been after the Louisville, uh, North Carolina ending. Louisville got absolutely fucked in the Young Center by the refs on some bullshit calls late in the game. That pretty much dictated how the game was going to end and allowed Carolina to come out on top on that one. But I think Coy mentioned is like, when we watch a game, we're not here to watch the refs. We're here to watch the action on the floor. So as a ref, you've got to do a better job of – not letting your ego get in the way of things. I am tired of seeing these refs or so-called refs get so pissed off. And like, if they make a bad call, they don't own it like a player if they make a bad decision. Or if a coach, if they fuck up or do something terrible, they don't own it like those, like a player does or a coach does. Well, they don't have to. That's they the don't have. Yep. That's there's the nobody issue. they have to answer to. That's exactly. right. We've, we've talked about it. They don't sure. have to have be held accountable for their actions. You send these these kids, young men, however you want to describe them. They're still kids in a lot of ways. Up to the podium after they just had their heart ripped out of their chest, and they've still got to a- or answer questions for a few minutes. Why did you do this? How do you feel? Obviously, they're hurt. But we can't have grown men officials be asked the same questions. Hey, why did you call that technical? Why did you do that? It makes no sense. There's no accountability towards refereeing. And until there is, we're going to continue to see the same shit over and over and over. No, a hundred percent. That's, you know, and Peyton touched on it. I said, the refs are there to sit there and regulate the game. They're the, they're the point of the game or the part of the game that is supposed to be, you know, heard, not really seen. And there's way too many times they continue to sit there and show their face and show who they are and show the zebra that they sit there and want to sit there and be the action or the, you know, lead circus ring or the leads, you know, part of the circus instead of being what they actually are just there to regulate and be the guy in the background way too many times. They continue to make the game about them and they continue to sit there and ruin the action and sit there and dictate the outcome. And it should never be like that. And they have some of the most soft feelings of anybody in sports. Because 
they like to dictate and see themselves in the spotlight sometimes going on your port, Corey. But, man, don't you dare try to question their authority because they're instantly going to get butt hurt. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like the golden rule of baseball. You don't argue balls and strikes. For them, it's like you don't question them. You sit there and say one little thing, and it's all of a sudden you're teed up or you're sitting there getting the boot. And it's like it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, well that goes – that goes Go ahead, back man. to the point where, like, it just feels like they're always right and they're never in the wrong. And they don't have to own up to the fact that they fucked up or anything because they don't have to do interviews. They don't have to do get on up on the podium. You've seen I, – I know we're poking fun at Kentucky for losing uh, their first-round matchup. But you've seen as soon as they <laughs> the lost – <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, you've seen a stupid. Hey, I got a peacock for you. <laughs> as soon as they <laughs> lost, Coach Cow was on the podium talking about the game. Kellen Grady was emotional. Oscar Sheboy is emotional. They had these players who they immediately start asking, oh, why'd you do this? Oh, why didn't you do this in a certain game? But referees don't have to, and nor the way they will. Um, but Connor just mentioned it. That Illinois game. That technical that they gave, I don't even remember who it even was. That was the most ridiculous technical I have ever seen personally in a long, long time of watching college basketball or any level of basketball. How the hell is that a technical? Do you want him? He all of his momentum's going towards the basket. Even Reggie Miller was pissed off about it and even saying it. Uh, he um. As soon as he went for the dunk, all his momentum was going towards the basket. If he dunks that ball and just immediately lets go, he's probably going to fall on his ass and potentially get hurt. We, like you said, I'm glad you mentioned it. Right. Reggie even mentioned if he lets go, he's in danger of landing on his head or something or taking a yes, bad Yes, 100%. Fall. He had so much, yeah, he had so much momentum that there's no way he's landing on his feet. It's either do that and, this, and do the and, sw- simple swing and let go. Well, and not even, I, it, you know, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's not even just like that. Like you mentioned, Corey, it's not like he held on yeah. and did a chin up or anything. He just yeah. momentarily got his balance and let go. And for the ref at that point, yeah. we're going to get in that Illinois game in the second round when we talk about it. But when, what do you expect the kid to do? Because if he falls, if he lets go like you apparently wanting to and the kid gets hurt, then that's repercussions for him down the line. Or yeah. you can let him it's not like, get his balance and be safe. Yeah, it's not like he sat there and held on and sat there and you know showboated or sat there and jawed at the other team. He literally swung, got his balance, and let go and started jogging back without opening a single thing. And it's like, yeah. how how can you even sit there and call that? Like that's just and, another point of how ridiculous the referees have been. And and it, I know you're supposed to officiate games the same across the board. But you got to take into account, this is a tournament game. This is a four versus a five seed. This is a massive game. You got to let that go. If you wouldn't call that in November, yep. you damn sure don't call it now. Yeah, and not even, not, even, not even that. Why is that even a technical in the first place? Even if he does do that, he, like Corey said, he didn't do anything. He didn't hung on the rim. He didn't do no pull-ups. He didn't flex to the crowd. He literally just held on the rim for, like Bryce said, um, he commented, it's literally for like two seconds max. And that's it. And they call it a technical for that. That is weak as it gets right there. And, and how, we'll move on from this, but how many times in games this year and in past have we seen somebody do far more disrespectful stuff on dunks? Far more disrespectful oh. and nothing's called. On dunks, block shots, on, you know, anything. It's like how many times have we sat there and seen guys sit there and do a lot more and there's no call. But they sit there and have to show their face again. 
and sit there and, you know, it's just ridiculous. Well, Drew Timmy, every time he scores, he oh. always celebrates and do this shit and yell too small. How is that not a technical? It, it, it's selective is what it is. Phil will be joining us here in yep. just a second. So as he's on his way, fellas, I mean, we all know the officiating is terrible. We've seen it in the comment section early and often right now as we're streaming this live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. But we got to move on from that. Let's get in some of the action. Let's start with the first four games. We don't have to spend a lot of time on them, but let's start with the first four games that happened last Tuesday and Wednesday evening. Um, Corey, let's start with your boys. Playing in Dayton, they played the second game on Thursday evening. They played a good Wyoming squad. We kind of all talked about, you know, Wyoming, if they were able to hit, probably give Indiana some problems. But at the end of the day, Indiana was just too big, too long in the front court. And ultimately, they're deep because that was an ugly display of offensive basketball between both teams. I don't know if it was the ball, the nerves, or a combination of both. But neither team could score. Indiana's defense shone through in that and got them into the next round. Hunter Maldonado, tremendous player for Wyoming, their best player, but their offense looked so out of sync. They just tried to post up their guards, tried to back down, and Maldonado had 10 turnovers. 10. A lot of that goes to Indiana's defense. Trace Jackson Davis was tremendous in that game. Yeah, no, 100%. Indiana sat there. I mean, the both offenses struggled tremendously at times. Indiana sat there and uh, was just way too physical. In my opinion, I think the Big Ten, just the overall physicality of it, where everybody says the Big Ten doesn't have athletes, they have physical play. And I think that's what carried over. And that's the only reason Indiana sat there and kind of dominated that game as well as they did. Uh, the guard play for Indiana still struggled. Uh, Xavier Johnson was, you know, the only answer. But uh, Miller Cop and uh, Parker Stewart continued to sit there and have woes, continued to struggle, didn't really do very much. And you know, luckily, Geronimo uh, came in and was huge also off the bench. So, uh, can, Indiana kind of kind of pulled away. But can, can we talk to real quick about why the hell the NCAA changed that ball? That ball is awful this tournament. They they should have just kept yeah. using the same basketball that they used the entire season because that worked. This basketball and it, the Indiana game's point in case in this, but the whole start of this tournament so far. Dudes cannot get a handle on it. It's slippery. It looks weird. There's something to the ball. Yeah. And when we talk about Iowa being upset here in a little bit, they're dudes in shoot-around. They shot the lights up. We know how great of an offensive team Iowa is. And you heard pregame in the warm-ups that their dudes are complaining about the grip of the ball and how it handled. Uh, it, the Indiana game was bad as far as you know, the slippage and handle and all that. But Indiana wins that first four game, moves on. Another state of Indiana team, Notre Dame, handled business against Rutgers. Uh, a better game to watch than the Indiana-Wyoming game. But, man, Mike Braves, I don't know what you say about him. He's damn good. We talked about styles are kind of similar, want to slow it down, uh, physical. And at the end, Notre Dame found a way to put Rutgers away in double overtime uh, in a thriller to move on to the first round. Any of those first four games outside the Indiana Notre Dame ones, we had those pair of 16 seed games. Um, anything in the first four before we move on to the first round? And Phil just joined us, by the way. Um, fellas, anything in that first four that you stood out to you, you want to talk about? The NCAA screwing teams over? I mean, we'll speak on it. After the, I was going to say, literally, like that's the biggest thing that I think was a disadvantage of those first four games. 
Yeah, and that travel situation. I just I think we talked about yeah. it last Sunday or last Monday on the tournament special preview. Why couldn't teams like that not be closer? Because Indiana, for yeah. instance, they win this game. They had to they find out on Sunday night where they're playing. It's a short trip from Bloomington to Dayton, a couple hours. Then they only had 33 hours turnaround, or maybe 33, 42 hours right around there turnaround to leave Dayton, Ohio, which their plane was messed up. They had to take a different, smaller so, plane. So, the, well, yeah. So, well, and, the NCAA short booked them and then sat there and didn't have enough room. The flight or delayed and started out the entire situation. They didn't get in until 7 a.m. and had an early practice time schedule. So yeah, it was like the NCAA sat there and shortchanged them on. Yeah, and they had to fly halfway across yeah, the country is what I was getting to, to Portland yeah, to go play well, a, a St. Yeah, Mary's and, team. Yeah, and they got split up onto different flights because of situation or because of the NCAA short booking them. Yeah, the NCAA, I, I mean, I don't think we've ever claimed that they're smart right now. The leadership, something's got to change. But, Phil, since you just joined us, I do at the end of the show want to talk about your experience covering North Carolina State's week, uh, the women's team. We kind of alluded to it on your way here to the show today. Anything from that first four you would like to touch on before we move on to the first round? No, nah, not really. I mean, it sounds like you guys pretty much covered it. Like both the uh, 16 games, you know, we're not going to get into those. But uh, I was a little surprised to see Notre Dame come out uh, on top of Rutgers, especially in a, a game that ended up – I mean, I know it went to overtime, but uh, ended up being a high scoring one too. Uh, kind of threw me off there. But uh, like you said, man, Mike Bray is just he, – he's a great coach. And uh, – and they got a you know, pro. Notre Dame damn near pulled off that upset of Texas Tech yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah, they got a pro. Uh, yeah. I love Mike Bray, but that, that's about all I got. All right, let's move on to the first round action. So how we're going to do this, guys, instead of going game by game by game, we're just going to pick and choose what you want to talk about in the first round. I think it'll be a little easier on that. So let's go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. These guys have already ragged on me a little bit. Let's start with it. the <laughs> biggest upset of the tournament, one of the biggest upsets in tournament history. Uh, in Indianapolis on Thursday night, two seed Kentucky went down to 15 seed St. Peter's, the Peacocks, as Corey and Peyton likes to jab me here. First of all, first of all, let's give a lot of credit to Shaheen Holloway and St. Peter's, one of the absolute lowest funded D1 universities for college basketball budgets there are. Um, I think I've seen a thing where their third assistant was a volunteer, or not a volunteer, but like an unpaid position as of like a year or so ago. So not a whole lot of budget goes in. This is a team that struggled mightily throughout the regular season. They were 260 in offense. They had a pretty good defense, but offensively they were 260. And they got a little help in the MAAC, the MAC, the MAAC tournament from Iona being upset and knocked out because Iona was, you know, on paper should have won that, took the auto bid as they should have. But they got a little help, and they got hot at the right time, and they absolutely carved Kentucky up. The five-out offense, constant movement, constant cutting, and they had a dude go off. If you're going to pull an upset on a team in March, you need good guard play, you need to be able to hit shots, and you need a little luck. And they got all three of those. Coming into this game, St. Peter's was ranked – 200 around like 250th in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. In this game against Kentucky, they shot 52.9% from the three point line. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that it's March, and I don't know what does. 
I told Josh after this game because we had after we did our li- or his live video after this game got his final got his thoughts on this game. We sat for about fifteen, maybe thirty minutes after that, and just talked about this game, talked about everything that happened, everything that transpired, and I told him multiple times in that game. I kept waiting for Kentucky to just put them away. I it was like there was like five minutes ago. I know Coy misses Josh with like ten. 11, 12 minutes ago in the second half. It's like, are you getting nervous? <laughs> kind of that type of deal. And Josh was like, no, not really. He said he'd get, he'll get nervous around four minutes. And then, even then, like, Kentucky went up like 68, 62. Yep. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, this game's chalked. It's over. Kentucky's going to make a run. Oscar Shebway dominated this whole damn game. Really the only one who played well for Kentucky. Um, and I just kept waiting for it. I kept waiting, like, surely to God here soon. Even in the overtime period, I'm like, surely to God, Kentucky's going to pit these fuckers away. And they never did. And hats off to Shaheem Holloway. He outcoached Cal in that second half, and especially in overtime. Hey, Phil, we got to give some shout-outs, too, um, to our guy, John Phantom, when we had him on a couple weeks ago. Shaheen Holloway was the first name he mentioned when we talked about potential Seton Hall opening, and he's the one that's like, hey, Shaheen Holloway needs to be the guy. And I think he showed this weekend why that's that sentiment. Um, Kentucky was so tight that if you could have fit a piece of coal up their asses and pulled it out, it would have been a brand-new, shiny, sparkly diamond because they were tight. Phil, Corey, I'll let you guys have your thoughts on the game, the St. Peter's upset, kind of everything surrounding it. I was going to say, I agree with Peyton. Every time that Kentucky sat there and, you know, hit a big shot or, you know, did something, you know, forced a turnover, whatever it may be, uh, St. Peter's came down and forced, you know, a bad shot attempt or sat there and got, you know, a big rebound uh, or sat there and, you know, answered back with some kind of shot. It was just like every single time, St. Peter's sat there and had an answer to sit there and kind of dictate something back in. And, uh, you know, like you said, Coach Cal just got completely overcoached, overhandled. Uh, Oscar was about the only person that showed up that really looked like he wanted to be there for Kentucky. And he sat there and, uh, I mean, he had a dominating game. It's kind of nice to see on his part. But, um, you know, overall, just it, Kentucky just got out outmanned by a smaller school. Hey, yeah, well, and then they us? ran in. Oh, there you go. There he is. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I was going to say they, they ran into two uh, big-time performances, too, from St. Peter's. You know, Banks had a huge game, 27 points, hit five threes. And then uh, Eater had 20. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. We can hear you. Yeah, you're good. All right, cool. Um, yeah, Eater had 20. Um, and we always talk about as far as an upset, you need to have a couple guys have those big performances. Um, and then going back to what you were saying, Josh, about John Fanta, not only was Shaheen Holloway the first name he brought up, he was the only name he brought up. I mean, that's right. There was not another option. He said Shaheen Holloway is it. And uh, that's that's definitely proving to be, to be the thing or uh, to be correct right now. Um, I am a little disappointed just to bring it up real quick. I don't think Kevin Willard should have uh, should have brought it up at all in his post game press conference or whatever. Um, it's fine if he wants to address his future, but to to put Shaheen Holloway's name into all of that while well, he still is about to coach the biggest game of his life, um, I, I didn't like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, sticking on the game though, 
I mean, that offense, you're just not going to see that. Uh, Kentucky in the SEC, out of conference with Kansas, nobody runs that five-out offense that way where it's constant movement, constant cuts, and Kentucky could not guard their ass. Uh, St. Peter's scored 85 one other time against, uh, I think it was a D3 opponent. That was it, and they put up 85 on the Cats in this game. It went to overtime. I'm with Peyton. Uh, we were watching the game together. When Kentucky went up six late, we kind of all thought it was over, and St. Peter's immediately went on a 7-0 run, take a lead. Kentucky finally, the only shot Kellen Grady hits, hits a huge three, goes to overtime, and Kentucky, can a pretty good free-throw shooting team as a whole, went one of six in overtime from the foul line. That'll do it to you every time, and St. Peter's was clutch as clutch can be. Hit every shot, took every advantage. I mean, they played a tremendous game. They deserved to win that game. It's weird to say, but they were the better team that day on the floor. And what a star was born in this this tournament so far. Doug Edert, he is the darling of the tournament. I mean, what he looks like a dude that would be in the hills and hollers somewhere down in Kentucky. He looked like the, he looks like the dude that you everybody knows that you'd go to the, your local Circle K and he's hanging around buying a Polar Pop. And he's just carving dudes up right now in the tournament. Beautiful jump shot, beautiful recognition of the game and understanding. And they they cut Kentucky up. Before we move on to other first-round games, I've kind of got my thoughts and feelings out there. But for you guys, your thoughts on Kentucky and how they change going forward because it's either one or two paths from here. They can take the Virginia route, take it on the chin, regroup, come back next season, and make a push for the title. Or this could be the one that breaks them and sends everything downhill. Uh, before I, hey, I, hey, Josh, you said one thing wrong there. Uh, hold, on, hold on, Peyton. You you said one thing ahead. wrong there, Josh. You act like you act like Kentucky keeps guys and develops them. They're a one and done school. This team will be completely gone, and they'll be trying to rebuild. Oh, and restart hey, I'm going to call a timeout right here. I'm going to throw it technical <laughs> at you on that because. While some of that's true, probably most of it, not all of it, because you look at guys. I was going to say ninety percent of it. Well, that I'll give you that, but you got to take <laughs> Nick Richards, Emmanuel quickly. There's been dudes that's been even the five star talent that comes in. People think unless they're just Anthony Davis or somebody, they do develop for the most part under Cal. So I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. But Peyton, go to your thought. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you actually kind of mentioned that because that kind of segues into one of the things I was going to say. Um, and that's about Kentucky's. I got two things for you, Josh. I want you to either answer or slash talk about, or maybe both, I guess. Um, for one, talk and about the first point. one's about them getting dick down. No, no, no. I've lied down my chilling down. Let me pull that comment back up from our Facebook yes. user. I've already done my trolling. Uh, he's, he listen. Give him a break. He's miserable. He's miserable enough. Not only that, but Kentucky women's got knocked out first round too. He's already miserable enough. Give him a break. Uh, but what I was going to talk about though is Kentucky's experience coming to this year is what the most experienced team Kentucky's ever had. And history, yeah. And I don't know if one of the commentators said on the, said it on the game or if it was uh, in the press conference, something like that. But it, someone in the media said that Kentucky had a lot of experience, was an experienced team, but they won tournament experience. Only two guys who played in the tournament was Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz, I believe. Yep. Do you think, one question, do you think that played a factor into being so tight uh, offensively? Um, or the better question is, what the hell has happened to Kellen Grady over this uh, past month? So I think some of the tournament, yeah, the lack of experience. But, man, it's a game. 
It's a game. No matter how you shake it, no matter the stakes, it's a game. It came down to Cal, the offense was so, not even elementary, just so in the 20 years past its prime. Jonathan Gavoni from Draft Express, brilliant thread of tweets, explained it, broke it down about how antiquated his offense is. I don't think that helped to try to get buckets. And the dudes just missed. They got some good looks at the rim. They missed, and they ultimately they couldn't defend. If they'd have defended better, shit, this wouldn't even be a conversation. They just couldn't defend. They didn't hit shots. So tournament experience played as some of a factor, but I'm not going to use that because at the end of the day, these dudes, it's a game. They know how to play. Phil, I want to hear your thoughts, though. The whole Kentucky deal, the upset, which route, if you had to put money on it, does Kentucky go? Um, I mean, so first of all, it's to talk about like what was wrong with Kellen Grady and everything. I think Kellen Grady brought up in the post game press conference perfectly what was wrong with this team. They stopped guarding people the last you know two weeks of the season the way they had been for the month or two prior when they had really picked their game up. As good as they were on offense, they were really hanging their hat on how well they were defending, um, and and that didn't come to play. And then when when you don't defend or knock down shots, I mean you're gonna fucking lose to just about anybody you play. I mean that's just that's the game of basketball. Um, as far as the Cal criticism and all that goes, I mean, I think we've all sort of acknowledged for a while, um, and even Cal's acknowledged it himself, that you know, almost as much of a goal as winning a national championship is getting these guys to the NBA, and he's, he's using that as the way to sell recruits on coming there. Um, and I think he maybe has to tone down that rhetoric a little bit. And then, Josh, like you just mentioned with uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Gavoni, He's got to update that offense. I mean, he's run this hybrid Princeton offense, as that's what he likes to call it, for you know the better part of past 15, 20 years, and it just doesn't really work anymore. Um, he, if he could bring in an assistant, he he just needs to bring in somebody you know maybe on his staff that's an, a super into X's and O's that kind of thing. Because I don't think Cal's that guy, and at sixty years old, he's not going to be able to. Well, shit. here's the problem: he needs to let 65. go. He's not going to be able to change. He needs to let go and trust his assistants because I've heard all year, and especially in this tournament, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic sat right behind the Kentucky bench, and he was live tweeting uh, some of the conversations. He has guys like Bruiser Flint and Chen Coleman that has been begging him to go four guards around Oscar. And Chen Coleman earlier in the game this year did the postgame presser for Cal in his place and was talking about it. He said, if we ever go four guards around Oscar, it's the death lineup. He has guys that know what they're doing or what's capable of being done. And we've seen it ever since Notre Dame up until the last three weeks. The reason in part Kentucky's offense got better looking is because he opened it up finally. You've seen us stretching the floor. You've seen us going for quick threes. You've seen guys have freedom in the offense. But Cal reverts back when he gets a little tight. He reverts back to what he's always known, and it doesn't work. He's clogging the paint for his athletes to drive to the rim. So most of that relies, on my opinion, on Cal finally waking up and trusting who he has around him. Because if you're not going to trust them, listen to him, why even have him on staff? Well, 
to talk about that, and I'm glad you just mentioned that because I just bring up another thing or one of my another point is if you look at Carolina and how their offenses ran and structured under Hubert Davis in his U1, especially go look at that Baylor game. He's running like a four out one offense. He's letting Mondo Biquet dominate that low, and he has shooters surrounding him. This is why RJ Davis lit, and we'll talk about it later. I'm not trying to get my head on myself. I'm just trying to make a point here, but we've seen that's why what happened to Caleb Love in the first game against Marquette absolutely jumped like 25-some points, hitting shots. And we've seen it in the second-round matchup against Baylor. R.J. Davis did the same thing. It's because you have a dominant force in Armando Burkett down low, let them get easy buckets in the interior, and you just kick it out to shooters all over the place. That's how the modern-day offense should be structured, and that's what Cal's got to figure out going forward if they want to make this subtype of Virginia run. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that's it. Peyton – took the words right out of my mouth which I was going to say is that's the modern offense that's literally what everybody in the NBA everybody who runs any kind of modern offense is doing is you put one guy down low and surround him with shooters and so I, it's not like it's a hard recipe to figure out no it's not but let's move on we'll talk more about St. Peter's in round two this magical run but a historic upset the cats go out a lot of people's final four picks um I'll let I'll put the floor to you guys where do you want to go in this first round throw a game out and we'll talk about it uh, let's talk about the, I think it was the first game of the tournament, uh, Michigan 11C taking on six seed Colorado State. I watched this whole game and the Very first half game of the tournament, first half Colorado State came out and pretty much just dominated them early hit like four out of five threes within like six minutes in the first half it was remarkable. I thought at one point in this game in the first half that Michigan was going to get the ass whooped and blown out in the first half. Second half was a different story. Hunter Dickinson, they made an adjustment. Hunter Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson Wise made a huge adjustment, which I think allowed him to get a lot of buckets down low. If you go back and watch this game, or just go back to the game thread, I was screaming at my damn TV and at the game thread because every time Hunter Dickinson or Diabate would catch the ball on the low block, they would try to turn baseline. And every time they try to turn baseline on a post move, Colorado State had a double team and a trap waiting for them. They'd end up turning the ball over. Every single possession they did that, Colorado State had a trap for them, waiting for them. They turned the ball over. and allowed Colorado State to get easy transition buckets. Second half, they changed it. They put Hunter Dickinson right in the middle of the paint. He made a quick move. They dropped it down low. He made a quick little move, and he's seven foot. I mean, who's going to really contest a shot at seven foot? And he has a soft touch. He got easy buckets. Caleb Houston, though. Five-star kid. Hasn't really played his best all season long. Hit two big-time back-to-back threes in the second half with like eight minutes ago in the game to really, I don't know if it was a tie-it-up or maybe take the lead or maybe it was a stretch-it-out, I don't remember, but he hit two big-time threes to really give uh, Michigan all the momentum they want for the rest of the game. I think he has been the X factor for them in a lot of ways. Uh, Michigan with the first game of the tournament, the first upset is an 11 over a six. Um, Colorado State, another one, Corey, that kind of got travel issues. They didn't get into Indianapolis till late. NCAA screwed them in a lot of ways. But Michigan, a lot of team, or a lot of people, including us, question whether they should be in the tournament. But, man, what a run. It goes to show. It goes to show it's a new season every time the tournament rolls around. As long as you're in oh, – yeah. Completely new slate and talent always, well, not always, but talent normally prevails. Phil, Corey, your guys' thoughts on the Michigan win and 
it's an upset in seed wise, but let's be real. It's not much of an upset. I agree. I, uh, the Michigan team that we saw in the second half is the Michigan team that showed up down at Indiana. Uh, Houston's in there hitting big time threes. Dickerson spreading the floor, taking a couple outside shots, sitting there dominating down the paint. I mean, it's 7 1, what, 280 or whatever he is. I mean, he's, uh, he's a solid big body and he sat there, made the adjustments to going away from, you know, spinning baseline, started using the middle of the floor. And, uh, Michigan just kind of showed that, you know, they're, a little bit more capable of withholding a, a full game and, you know, kind of uh, dictated at the part or at the very end that they sit there and just had way too much for Colorado state to handle. Yeah. The Michigan defense in that second half was just suffocating. I mean, Colorado shot or Colorado state shot 29%, 26% from three. Uh, they went scoreless the last two and a half minutes, only made one of their last eight buckets. I mean, the game just really changed on that Michigan defense stepping up. Uh, Caleb Houston goes off in the second half, like Peyton sort of mentioned, but uh, we seen the, t- I mean, this is the team we all thought Michigan could be coming into the season. Um, and, you know, now they make their fifth straight sweet 16. I mean, we'll get into that second round game here in a little bit, but uh, they're, they're playing their best ball. Like you said, Josh, it's, it's a brand new season when the tournament starts and uh, Michigan is definitely taking advantage. I think this tournament is a great reminder for us in the media that everything we knew and all the stuff we know um, sometimes we get in our own way, breaking stuff down. Honestly, sometimes we just get in our own way because we like to look at these matchups and probabilities, and we just got to keep in mind that it's a new season, and teams like Michigan and Texas and all these others, they, they have talent for a reason, and they're in. Um, hey, let's go to another upset from the tournament. How about New Mexico State beating UConn in a 12-5, the historic 12-5 that everybody loves that's happened just about every year for the last 25 years. And it was a good game, but, man, you talk about a star amongst stars. Teddy Allen with 37 points on the Huskies. Yeah. Woo, boy. Just a correction on Josh's thing. He said New Mexico State beat you, Connecticut. That's, that's incorrect. That's false. Teddy Allen himself beat Connecticut. That's fair. He went off in this game unconscious. Some of the plays he made in this game, especially uh, late in the late game situations, he just just kept finding ways to score the basketball, no matter what Connecticut was doing. And Connecticut, I talked about it. Defensively, they was really good this year. They could not stop or even slow Teddy Allen down at all. He, Teddy Allen, single-handedly beat Connecticut in this game. Yeah, I mean, they, New Mexico State didn't have a single other scorer in double figures. Um, and basically the only production they got out of anybody else was threes. I mean, McCants has five points with a three. Henry has eight points with two threes. Rice gets nine points on all threes. I mean, they were just knocking down their threes and had a star performance, which is, again, literally the recipe we always talk about for a big upset in March. And you, unless it's happened to your team, you love watching performances like that. When a dude gets in the zone, especially with the stakes as high as they are in March. I mean, this is what we live for. This is why we covered this sport. For sure. And Teddy Allen, not only just the way he was able to shoot the ball at four threes, but uh, got to the free throw line, man. He, he played a physical game with them. Uh, UConn was throwing the kitchen sink at him defensively. Um, say again, I don't want to get too, too far ahead of ourselves, but same thing we've seen Arkansas try to do. And he was hitting some absolute circus shots. 
Yeah, he was unbelievable. Uh, he might have been, if it not have been for Doug Eater taking the, the Hearts of America, he might be the, the early player of the tournament so far as far as that performance goes. Um, Phil, I'll put it to you. Name another first-round game you want to talk about. Well, honest, not just because I'm a fan, but just because of how good it, of a game it was, is that uh, Illinois-Chattanooga game. Told um, you, man. We knew, we knew how good the mocks were. Well, Chattanooga didn't play their best basketball and still should have won the game. And that's why I was telling, uh, you know, talking to my family, we're all Illinois fans yesterday. And I said it, they outplayed us and they still screwed the game up. I mean, there was, they had numerous chances in that second half to take, you know, two, three possession leads and would throw the ball into the stands, turn the ball over, just let Illinois hang around with these little mistakes, but they absolutely outplayed Illinois the entire game. Um, you started to see it in the second round game, but you can't, tr as much as I love Andre Curbelo and the offense I do think is most of the time better when he's in there, he just won't make the simple play. He won't do it. He's going to try to make the flashy play every single time. And it, it killed him a couple times in that game. We've seen in this game why Sylvia D'Souza was at Kansas. We've seen the talent in this game. Him going man, mano a mano against Kofi Coburn and at times putting the footwork and not backing down from him. We've seen why his talent wise was at Kansas. If his head would have been where his talent was, he would still be at Kansas more than likely, or he might even be professional by now. But we knew coming in, watching the SoCon, fans of the SoCon, uh, Chattanooga was a real deal. Hell, go back to when we did our uh, mid-major spotlight on the SoCon. We told you guys about a month ago, Chattanooga's the real deal. And they let Illinois finally tuck the lead with 25 seconds to go. That was their first and last time leading this game. Chattanooga led this game for uh, 39 minutes and 35 seconds. 39 minutes and 35 seconds and couldn't seal the deal. It, it was, it was a, a very weird game too. I mean, Coleman Hawkins had this make maybe two, three minute stretch at the end of the second half where he like, he picked up two fouls in a 30 minute or in a 30 second stretch. Then he got into an argument with Underwood during a timeout. He argued with the ref over a very clear reach in call that he slapped the dude on the wrist about five times. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck was going on with, that. I was yelling at my TV, like, please get him out of the game. Um, but you mentioned D'Souza. The key play in this game to me is when D'Souza takes that stupid third foul in the first half that just complete. I mean, he, he was not able to play the rest of the first half and was really kind of a non-factor in the second half because of it. But had he been able to play the entire game or, you know, his typical 25, 27 minutes, I think Chattanooga might win this game by 10 points. I think you're right. I think they needed him to stay on the floor. That's definitely for sure. Hey, let's talk about Corey's team. We mentioned them in the first four. They had to go out to Portland. We talked about travel issues. Hey, hey, we, can, we can just skip this game. No, uh, no, no, no. no. Hey, game. there's not much to talk about, so we no, can just keep, hey, this, listen, keep it going. Listen, <laughs> hey, they go out no. and play St. Mary's in a 12-5. I had Indiana predicted to win this game, but they look like a tired team. They look like a team that was having to play five games in eight days traveling across the country, and they ran into a buzzsaw in St. Mary's. St. Mary's just carved them up offensively. We know how good St. Mary's is. They like We talked about the tempo, slowing the game down. And 
Indiana had their defense is better than that. I'd have liked to have seen it on a, a couple days rest in between, but I don't know how much of the outcome would have changed. I think Phil uh, last week was the only one that actually picked St. Mary's. I, I thought Indiana would still be able to muster it up, but you got to give credit to Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. They absolutely carved Indiana up. But again, it's an excuse, but it's not really. Indiana looked like a team that is playing their fifth game in eight days. Yeah, I agree. Indiana looked like a, a team that sat there and just got dominated in every aspect of that game, which unfortunately I think it would have been a, a little bit different kind of a game. And, uh, I mean, St. Mary's kind of, you know, I was talking to guys before, the way St. Mary's slows down the game, the way the Indiana defends in the half court, I said it's going to be a game to 60 if Indiana comes out and plays like they should. And, you know, I, I thought that they had the capability of doing that. Uh, unfortunately, they came out and kind of proved me wrong and uh, just looked like they were stuck behind the entire way. St. Mary's hit a bunch of shots. St. Mary's even had some fast break points and things like that. That's not their prototypical offense, but Indiana just looked like they never could get, you know, the ball rolling, never could sit there and make a play. And, I mean, St. Mary's just flat out won that game. Yeah, and first of all, Indiana, as much as I don't like Indiana and I – it's like literally besides the members in our group, I do not like their fan base at all. Um, I will admit the fact that Indiana should not be in this position. They should have been in Michigan spot. They shouldn't have been in the first four game. No question about it. But also, and I see Jeff Goodman post this from the field of 68 all the time. He was talking about it on it a couple of days ago. Well, he was talking about it on the selection. So that they did the selection Sunday special that they did. And he's talked about it on Twitter multiple times. If you're around those bubble area teams and you're complaining about, oh, we should have been in or we shouldn't or we should have been in a higher seed, you had 33 games to change that narrative. You had all regular season and all season to change that narrative. So although I agree that Michigan, should, first of all, shouldn't have been in the tournament at all, damn sure it shouldn't have been higher than Indiana you still had all season to change that narrative and potentially play yourself into a higher seed. That way you don't have to play an extra game in the first four. That way you can have more rest. But that's no here nor there. Indiana, like y'all said, kind of like mentioned it, they were just tired in this game. They had no legs. Hey, before we – now that the season's officially over for the Hoosiers, let's do a quick panel discussion. Not necessarily a discussion, just a real quick, let's grade Mike Woodson's first season. The fact that they – beat Purdue, they made the tournament, and won a tournament game, bumped his grade up two levels for me. I'm giving him a solid A for year number one. Um, I'm going to stick with my grade from a couple weeks ago, about a week ago. I say B+. Plus. He's done everything he needed to do in his first year. He beat Purdue. He made the tournament. He won a game. The reason I'm not going to give him an A or anything higher than a B plus is because we can't ignore the fact that regular season they did not play well. They've lost some games. Now if they had to beat Wisconsin at the Cole Center, if they had to beat um, maybe Michigan State, if they got a couple more wins and maybe didn't finish middle of the pack in the Big Ten, maybe finish maybe like top five, then I'd give them – uh, or give him a higher grade, maybe an A minus. But we, I can't ignore the regular season B plus for me. Yeah, I got him uh, in between right, right in between you guys. Gosh, I can't talk, but uh, A minus. 
And it sort of goes to my expectations with them too. I did not, you know, love the Woodson hire. So I think he, he proved me wrong. Certainly they were playing really good ball. Um, you know, middle of January kind of tailed off in February, but you know, first tournament run in what, five years, uh, big tournament win. I, I don't think you can downplay that kind of stuff as the, you know, first year building a program. Um, we'll see how his recruiting goes. Uh, he has another good class coming in next year. So, uh, yeah, a minus right now. So I'll go last, but not least, um, you know, I sat there and I was kind of questioning the hire at first. It was nice to hear an Indiana, uh, you know, alum coming back in, uh, I'm going to give him a, uh, a B plus plus, uh, if I can. So, uh, I think he has a long way to go, uh, still learning some of the college games, adjusting from the timeout differential to, uh, you know, some of the mass substitutions and things like that. I think he's still kind of, you know, was used to having a pro bench where he could kind of make the mass subs and uh, wouldn't have the big tail off. I think he did a lot of good things, though, getting the uh, the defense back in order to sit there and kind of, you know, get that to where it should be. He got some uh, some key at, or key scorers going. Uh, I think he made adjustments to a lot of guys' games. Race Thompson, uh, Jordan Geronimo, um, Fennessey sat there and looked or showed some flashes of being the old Fennessey. There's still a lot of consistency there. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, I mean, he got a spec in the tournament. He got a win over Purdue. I think there's just a little bit of room for adjustment. Um, but I definitely think uh, it's definitely trending in the right direction as far as I can, I can say. Yeah, I think Indiana for the first time in a long time has a lot of momentum. Hey, let's go to another 12-5 real quick as we start rapid fire some of these first rounds so we can move on. How about another upset? Richmond takes down everybody's darling Iowa, the Big Ten tournament champions. Richmond their experienced guys coming in to the tournament. Not a lot of tournament experience, but a very experienced team. And they put the clamps on Iowa's offense. Again, this is another one. The same way as Virginia Tech. We'll add that one in here as well. Virginia Tech loses to Texas. This goes to show yet again that we talked about, I think I even mentioned in the tournament special last week, Every year it happens where a team or two or three gets red hot, wins their conference tournament. Everybody loves them because they, they're hot. But it doesn't normally matter in the NCAAs because it's a whole ball, another ball of wax. It's a completely different game. And we've seen it with Iowa and Virginia Tech, both very trending picks to get to at least the second weekend. Iowa, in some cases, to go to the final four. Both of them take L's. Uh, let's start with the Richmond one real quick. Richmond put the clamps on Iowa, fellas. Uh, you got to give them a lot of credit. Iowa could not. This is the case, right? You live by the three, you die by the three, and Iowa died a slow, painful three-point death in this game. Absolutely. I did not see this one coming. I had Iowa going deep into uh, my bracket, but I have to give a shout-out to uh, Dan Siegel when I was on his show. He he called this upset. He's an A-10 guy, and uh, he, was, he said – brought up one of the exact points that you brought up, Josh. They don't have a lot of tournament experience, but Richmond might have been one of the most just experienced teams in the country. They had a ton of senior leadership, um, and they had bigger expectations coming into this year than what they ended up you know, producing. So they ended up needing that run in the A-10 tournament to get in, but a lot of people thought they could have been an at-large team coming into the year. So I think this was just sort of living up to the hype for them. And I am curious, I know you mentioned it sort of at the top of the show when I was coming on, Josh, but I want to know how much switching that ball affected Iowa because they just, they went from being this amazing offensive team to just, they couldn't score. 
Dude, I'm telling you, I've complained about it all tournament so far. That ball, not only is it like a bright color, which is horrendous, but there's so, it's got to be something. Dudes are mishandling passes. They're losing the dribble. How many turnovers have we seen by guys just can't hold the ball in a triple threat? Uh, shooting percentages aren't the greatest right now for most of these teams across the board. It's got to be something that ball, and it boggles my mind why the NCAA wants to change the ball. Uh, by the way, shouts to Richmond, led by a Burton. Just throwing that out there. Well, yeah, shout out to him. But the guy I want to give a shout out in this game is how special was Jacob Gilead in this game? Tremendous. I mean, both sides of the ball. Offensively, he put up 24-6 and cents. Like, 6 and 6, excuse me. And on defense, he did a hell of a job on slowing down and really making guys like Jordan of a hand and uncomfortable defensively. Hell, Josh, you know probably better than anyone on, on this panel on how good Jacob Gilliard is at just pissing people off defensively. We seen yeah, a couple maybe, years ago. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, last year when they went to Rupp Arena and beat Kentucky, Gilliard was everywhere. He had like eight steals in that game. Yeah, this is the reason I have him my preseason defensive play of the year is because defensively he just – He's like a pest, man. He just won't go away. He continues to attack you. And offensively, he was hitting some shots. So how special was Jacob Gilead? He, man, he lit it up in this game. Phil, you're the ACC guy here. Let's change our tune. I mentioned it. Another red-hot team people had high expectations for. But how about our boy, my dude, shouts. I don't know why I just did that. But shouts to, uh, to Texas, man, to – to the Hook'em Horns, they they shut down Virginia Tech, man. Uh, Chris Beard's a genius. He's proven himself to be a really good coach in March. And Virginia Tech, just another example of a team that got hot for the conference tournament, made people buy in, but they didn't have it against Texas. No, they didn't have it at all. And I think something that just didn't really click in my head leading up to this game, we had talked about how – gosh, I still can't talk – we had talked about how similar stylistically these two teams were, but you've seen in this game that Texas was just so much more athletic and physical. And I think that, you know, it didn't really show up in the ACC tournament and even in the ACC season because the ACC just isn't a super physical athletic league, but Texas just smashed them right in the mouth and, and they were never really able to recover from it. And I, I was personally very disappointed. I thought Virginia Tech, again, another team I had going deep in this tournament, um, I thought they had a chance to knock Texas off. Yeah, I mean, I had Virginia Tech, I think, going to my Sweet 16. And, uh, yeah, Texas did a hell of a job. Chris Beard's a hell of a coach. And uh, how about this stat? Texas, after really struggling offensively for pretty much all season, shot 52% from the three-point line. Crazy, man. We talked about they've had a lot of talent. Hey, real quick, though, before we wrap up the round one here, how about our guy, Ed Cooley? They were had the most trendiest upset pick against them in a 4-13 with South Dakota State, the nation's top three-point shooting team. We all, I think, picked South Dakota State last week. We fell in love with their ability, their, un, their winning streak. I think it was 21 games coming into this. They're a 31 team. Yada, yada, yada. Providence finally got that mojo back after celebrating a little too hard as we talked about clinching the Big East regular season crown. They got that mojo back, and they are physical. They locked and ran um, South Dakota State off the three-point line. Ed Cooley said, we ain't having that, boys. We are not getting upset in this one. 
Man, this uh, I wish South Dakota State played anyone else, uh, any other four seed besides Providence, because I'm a huge Ed Cooley fan, and I've been talking about him a lot over those past couple months and how great he's been this season. But, man, he uh, – yeah, I mean, coming into this game, South Dakota State was shooting 45% from three, the number one three-point shooting team in the country. And they made them shot 30% from three in this game. Completely shot them out. Chasing them off the three-point line. Providence size and athleticism and length gave South Dakota State um, a lot of problems. Douglas Wilson wasn't really comfortable in this game. He didn't really play his best. And he was the, he was the leading scorer averaging like 16.4 points per game. But Corey, a guy that you're familiar with, Al Durham played his ass off in this game. He, man, oh man, he hits. You talking about some circus shots in this one? He hit some ridiculous uh, layups, some shots that he I never expected in a million years he would be hitting. But he played tremendous in this game. Yeah, that's exactly who I was going to touch on. Was Al? It's like you know he left Indiana, goes over to Providence, and he sits there. And shows up and, uh, you know, puts his face on the front side of the program uh, for a lot of the year and then sits there and comes to the, you know, the first round, first time being in. And he sits there and has a dominant performance and sits there and makes his presence known. So it's kind of exciting, you know, to see, uh, especially since, you know, he decided to leave Indiana, but I'll still be uh, I'll still be loyal to him for a few years. And, you know, it was kind of it was pretty sweet to see, though. Yeah, how about this, Josh? He switches over to Providence and he finally wins. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's a coincidence, is it? It's not a coincidence, man. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, Phil, I know you had something before we move on to the second round. I know you had something you want to talk about. Yeah, I just want to – we were talking about big performances, uh, you know, throughout the first round. We, I don't think we can leave out Tyrese Hunter. Uh, seven threes, some clutch ones late. Puts him up four with just a, a – rocket from deep um and then the dagger puts him up 59 54 uh with like 17 to go but uh 23 points him and isaiah brockington were, were the two that i mentioned when uh, we had talked about this game on monday last week and uh he certainly fit the bill man he was draining everything yeah iowa state with the upset um iowa state we're gonna get to him just a minute as well uh real quick to recap the first one i'll just go Real quick, the winners, and that's it. Um, Gonzaga, Memphis, New Mexico State, Arkansas, Notre Dame, Texas Tech, Michigan State, Duke in the West, uh, Baylor, North Carolina, St. Mary's, UCLA, Texas, Purdue, Murray State, St. Peter's in the East. We got Auburn, Miami, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Providence, Richmond, Kansas, Creighton in the Midwest. And over in the South, it was Villanova, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Illinois, Houston, TCU, and Arizona. That leads us to the second round. I want to start with the game that I was probably the most excited for in the West. Number one, Gonzaga. Number nine, Memphis. Gonzaga wins 82-78. But, Phil, this might have been the game of the tournament so far. It was a late-night tip out in Portland, Oregon. You and I talked about this, and Corey as well, when the top 16 reveal, early, the early reveal from the committee, we kind of had the potential matchup when the brackets were revealed at that time. We had Memphis playing close to Gonzaga. We even talked ourselves into how Memphis could win this, and they looked so good for 99% of that game. It ultimately came down to their bigs got in foul trouble, and they allowed Gonzaga to get rolling a little bit. Memphis is up at half. They're physical. Timmy and the rest of the Zags are not playing the best, 
But ultimately, Drew Timmy just could not miss. I mean, they had to start doubling him. But like you mentioned in our group chat, Phil, if you double off Gonzaga, they've got too many weapons on the perimeter to make you pay. And ultimately, their offense came through in the clutch. But gosh, dang, man, what a job Penny and company did. They have nothing to hang their heads about. I think you tweeted it even that Memphis the other night would have beat 99% of the teams in America that night. What a turnaround by Memphis. Gonzaga shows their strength and dominance. And that to me, that's probably the best game of the tournament so far through the first two. Yeah, no, I agree. And and Memphis even did exactly what we said they would need to do to have a chance to win this game, which is get a big lead early because we knew, we mentioned it last week, that Gonzaga was going to have that run in the second half. They're one of the most streaky teams in the country. Um, you know, if you look at that Evan Maya kill shot uh, graph, which we love on this show, you know, they're number one. And, and sure enough, they, you know, they brought it, but I thought that was, it was a mistake for Memphis midway through the second when Gonzaga was really picking the pace of this game up and Memphis was scoring, but Memphis kept running with them. And I really felt like that was the time where Memphis needed to play Memphis basketball, which was to slow the ball down, take the air out of the building and just use their athleticism to really, I mean, you can use your athleticism to run or you can use it to lock teams down. And I think they needed it to use to lock teams down there. And they ran with them. And like I said, they scored, you know, Alex Lomas was getting buckets around the rim. Um, John Air Williams was great. Uh, they held Chet in, you know, pretty much in check the whole game. It was, it was Timmy in that second half. You know, he came out, scores the first 11 for Gonzaga out of the break. Um, they couldn't find a way to sing. You mentioned that we talked about it, but you can't double the way Gonzaga shooters are. And and then it sort of came down to uh, Memphis's offense wasting a few possessions at the end, too. Um, so it, it kind of profiled exactly how we talked about this game on Monday. Completely agree. And I think it came down to um, Timmy. Timmy gets them in games, but Nimhart closes it for him. He's their closer. He had some tremendous uh, jump shots late, a couple threes that really put the – the, the final nail in the coffin. But I think a lot of it, too, is Penny's inexperience in a game like this. He had some timeouts he probably should have burnt up earlier to slow it down. His guys were sucking wind, especially the front court guys. They were so tired they would focus more on Timmy and leave Chet open for a backdoor lob. But, man, you can't take nothing away from the game itself. And Memphis, I, I'm so happy for Penny and the company. I hope this is the spark that gets them rolling. But that was a tremendous basketball game. Indeed it was. And you guys already talked about it. But yeah, Drew Timmy was – he played his ass off second half. If it wasn't for him, then they probably would have got blown out and lost this game. But for me, and I get publicity-wise, and especially for the college basketball fan, Drew Timmy, you look at the stats, Drew Timmy had like 25 points, 14 rebounds, something like that. And second half, he definitely played his part in this win for Gonzaga. But, Josh, you kind of like mentioned it. Andrew Nimhard, for me, was the star of the show. For me personally, 5 of 10 from the three-point line. He was never this player when he was at Florida. Never. He, now, he, was he a good player? Oh, yeah, 100%. But was he is this lethal from three-point line, especially in close game situations? Hell no. He has developed so much from last year to this year. It's been remarkable. Without them, without him on the, in this backcourt for Gonzaga, who knows where Gonzaga would be. They'd still be good, but I don't know if they'd be this good without the play of Andrew Nimhart, especially the last couple of months. 
No, I'm right there with you. Completely agree. Moving on. Let's talk oh, about. There you go. What's up? Oh. I thought Corey was going to say something, but go ahead. Oh, my bad. I didn't know if you were. Were you going to say something, Corey? No. No, I'm good. Okay, my bad. Um, moving on, though, you talk about that being the game, as far as game-wise, probably the best game of the tournament. I definitely agree. For the full game, but for the second half, or really the last 10 minutes of this game, Ooh, I'm going to talk about North Carolina versus Baylor. The last 10 minutes, because the first like 30 minutes of the game completely was boring for me. It sucked. Carolina just beat the shit out of Baylor for the whole for like 30 minutes of the game. But that last 10 minutes... Brady Manic gets ejected for a flagrant one. What, or a flagrant two, excuse me, which he did throw an elbow back. I don't think it was intentional. Bye-bye rule. I guess that's called a flagrant two. As soon as he went out, the game changed. And Him cool. going out. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Okay. Him going out. Caleb Love fouling out. Baylor one goes on like a, what, 36 to 14 run to get it within two. And eventually tie it up. 38-13. They were down 25 with 10.35 to go, and they forced overtime. What? Baylor, that press that Scott Drew did was one of the best presses I've seen in a while. I'm not going to say – I'm not going to get too crazy and say all time because, you know, for Arkansas's 40 minutes of hell and Patino's press has always been incredible. But as far as, like, the last, like, five years, that's probably, like, the best press I've seen in a while. The, they, best, I've seen, the best I've seen since VCU did it. Yes, that yeah, definitely a hundred percent agree. North Carolina couldn't get the ball in. They kept struggling to get the ball in every single possession. And even if they did get the ball in, they ended up throwing it away or Baylor would force them into a turnover. Every single possession. That press was lethal and that was huge in their comeback coming in back in this game after being down like twenty-five points. What a game. I mean, North Carolina tried their ass off to give to give this game away. And we, we talked at the open. I know Phil wasn't here, but we went on a little rant about the officiating. North Carolina got the shit end of a lot of calls. Let's be completely transparent. They got a shit ton of calls that went against them. On the flip side, you also cannot lose a 25-point lead. They missed free throws. They tried, They got nervous. They threw the ball over the court. They ran the shot clock down. How about the pass from Leaky Black from the coach's box, threw it off the backboard, gave Baylor possession. I knew, I felt it, and I'm sure the rest of America felt it, especially Tar Heel Nation, that once that game went to overtime, that was Baylor's to win. And to give a lot of credit to Hubert Davis and the North Carolina Tar Heels, their back's against the wall, everything going against them, momentum's on Baylor's side, and they pulled down deep and found a way to win that game. Tremendous, tremendous basketball game. Yeah, you just mentioned the overtime. I felt like for sure going into that overtime, especially just the way the game had trended, the way the officiating was, North Carolina just looked kind of dejected. I thought it, it could have been a 10-point game, you know, with a Baylor win after overtime. And then Styles comes out on the first possession of overtime and bangs that three. And, and that complete – it changed the momentum. It brought Carolina right back into it. Um, and you sort of seen the lack of depth bite them a little bit in the ass in this game because of the foul trouble. But some of those guys ended up stepping – you know, Styles hasn't played much this year, man, but he stepped into a big role and played huge. Yeah, well, was, I think Peyton, we're going to have the same way. Thought here. 
Carolina got great production from guys that normally don't play. Puff Johnson gave them a couple good minutes. Uh, Styles a couple good minutes and possessions. That that's stuff that's needed to pull an upset. I and mean, they took the number one seed in the region down. And Carolina's looked good. We didn't know how much to believe in them after the Duke win because it still wasn't. I mean, they get blown out by Virginia Tech in the semis of the ACC. And man, this Carolina team looks. They beat the shit out of Marquette. They beat the shit out of Baylor for. 30 minutes um, and they gritted it down to pull the upset. Carolina is rolling now and they look the regions opened up for them to get to the final four. Now uh, a lot of credit. I want to say real quick on Baylor Peyton, before you get to your point. Yeah. Baylor still probably should have won that game, but James Akinjo, terrible decision-making, terrible shot selection, terrible decision-making. They had Matthew. I know Meyer had got hurt, but they had him stretching the floor. Um, so Chan looked great. They should have got the ball, not necessarily Kenjo. I thought he really killed their momentum. Before I get into talking about James Akenjo, you talk about the bench minute or the people coming off the bench and playing huge minutes. Carolina ranked like 290th in the country in bench points. They only go like six deep, six, maybe seven deep, but really six deep. They're not a deep, they don't have a deep bench at all. So for guys like Dontre Styles, Justin McCoy, and Donovan Puff Johnson to come on after their best point guard, Caleb Love, gets fouled out, and the player that dropped by 28, 30 points in this game, Brady Manick, gets ejected. The bench minutes or the bench minutes came off the bench was incredible for them. But James Akinjo, if you look at, if you didn't watch this game and you just immediately, and I talked about in this live video, and you just immediately go to the stats, you would see. James Akinjo had 20 points. Um, was that 20 points, five assists, four rebounds, played 39 minutes. If you didn't watch this game, you probably be looking off that thinking he had a good game, right? He played like shit. The whole game. Whole game. Now he had a couple big in ones there with to tie the game up there. He had some big in ones. But all, all game long, his shot selection was awful. His decision making was awful. He played like shit. I'm gonna call yeah. a spade. I'm gonna call a spade a spade. He played like shit for the whole game. I don't care what the stats say. He played awful. And I wish Matthew Mayer didn't get injured in that one play when he was trying to go for the steal and he ended up what, banging knees or something like that. Or I don't remember what exactly what happened, but he had to go out for a couple minutes. But Amandu Cat, he had 15 and 15. He had some big-time late game in overtime, big-time rebounds to really seal the deal for Carolina. Yeah, he missed a couple of free throws, but, man, he played his ass off, along with R.J. Davis, who had 30 points. Just saying. Carolina, big-time win. Hey, I want to get this out here real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time, maybe 30 seconds here, but there's a lot of people that's like, oh, because the ACC is doing red hot. They've got three teams in the Sweet 16 that we're going to talk about, and da-da-da, maybe they weren't so – guys, you stop evaluating conferences at the end of the regular season. The tournament's about, yeah, you got to be playing well, but it's a lot about luck too. I don't care if the ACC puts three or four teams in the Final Four. It doesn't change the fact that the ACC sucked this year as a whole. It doesn't. And the SEC has been bad in this tournament. It doesn't change the fact that the SEC was really tough this year. So I just want to throw that out there because you already see on Twitter, well, maybe the ACC wasn't as bad as everybody says. No, it was bad this year. It just so happens the teams that's in the tournament now are playing well. That's what happens. 
Yeah, I'm one of those. That the ACC isn't as bad as we thought it was, people, though. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying it completely overrides everything that was done in the regular season, but I do think it shows you that the, the lack of strength in the ACC was maybe a little bit overblown. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, I, I still stick with it that it, I, I think it has a lot to do with the teams more so than the conference. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can see, Phil, I can see your point on that. But I agree. The regular season matters. And the regular season, they looked awful. At one point, all pretty much all season, they, Duke was the only ACC team in the top 25. Uh, like we, I don't think we can just ignore that fact. Now, I think it's, and I heard, I think maybe it was Jeff Goodman, or maybe it was Rob Douster, or maybe it was John Fanta. It was one of those guys from uh, the Field of 68 talking about it this morning while I was listening to the show. You can't say that the, the ACC was bad all season long in the regular season, but we can't discern just because they do good in the tournament on a game-and-game basis where in one game, anything can happen. We've seen it in this – I'm not going to talk about it. We've seen it in the game against Kentucky and St. Peter's. Anything can happen in one game scenario where you win, you move on, you lose, you, you're knocked out of the tournament. Anything can happen. So I think it's a bad um, – how should I say this? It's a bad thing to determine if a conference is good or not because all season long they've been awful. Yeah. Corey, second round match okay. if you want to talk about. It. Let's get to it. I was just gonna add one thing on the you know what Peyton just said. I think the ACC was kind of like what the uh, or you know this conversation of the SEC and it kind of goes back to you know last year a couple of years ago when the Big Ten was dictated as the best conference. It's like, you know, like this is a whole different, you know, whole different world right now is the fact that it's, you know, March Madness. And, you know, I mean, you have mid-majors sitting there upsetting power fives and you have, you know, just everything. I mean, you can't say that I think the ACC just didn't have the consistency all year. I think there's a lot of ups and downs. I think North Carolina shows that they had the talent. It's just now finally starting to click and they're starting to get, you know, continuity together. Yeah. But, Corey, second round match if you want to talk about uh, second round matchup, I think, uh, let's go to the, uh, the Murray state game, I think was one that, uh, you know, uh, just another, another game that kind of showed, you know, was kind of a shock, you know, one who was in it, but two, I think just who won. Yeah. St. Peter's continues this magical ride. They've dominated the state of Kentucky through the first weekend. They beat Murray state 70 to 60 and a lot of the same thing. They ran their offense. They cut Murray to death and late in the game. They know how to close the game. Doug Eater had like a seven, eight Oh run himself towards the end of the game. And St. Peter's hits free throws. They take care of the basketball. You can't turn yep. them over. They hit shots. They run the clock down and get any look they want. They're a tough matchup because they're playing with confidence. They're playing loose because they they know they probably shouldn't be here, and that's a dangerous team to play right now. They're first. I mean, Sweet Sixteen. How about this, fellas? The first time since two thousand that a team from the state of New Jersey is back in the Sweet Sixteen. And do you know the last team to do it, Phil? I know you know, but do you know the last team to do it? Seton Hall. Do you know who their starting point guard was? Can can I jump in on that one at least? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Shaheen Holloway. That's right. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you got to give them credit. What a feel-good story. This reminds us a lot of the Oral Roberts last year, the Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, it, this team's playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, you can't take that away from them. 
Josh, I think it's safe to say that the way this year has been, the only team that is from the state of Kentucky that can knock off St. Peter's is Bellarmine. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only fucking team that can probably beat them. Because yeah. Louisville weren't worth the shit. Kentucky already tried, got beat. Murray State tried, got beat. And I don't, I mean, Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, it don't matter. That Bellarmine is probably the only team in the state of Kentucky that can probably beat St. Peter's. And that's crazy to say, man. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's go over <laughs> a couple second definitely. round, a couple second round upsets in the Midwest. I want to talk about just real quick because we need to move along and get to Sweet Sixteen matchups. But how about Miami, number ten seed? We got to shout out our boy Phil. He had this one. Miami dominates Auburn, seventy nine sixty one, takes the two seed out, and conversely, the eleven seed Iowa State takes out the three seed Wisconsin. Um, Two higher seeds now matching up in the Sweet 16. But, Phil, we'll give you your roses here because you told us last week in the tournament special you had Miami. I didn't believe in their guard play, but you love their guards. And, boy, did they put a hurting on Auburn. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll bask in it for a second. Um, I mean, it was probably just pure dumb fucking luck, but <laughs> I'll still take it. Uh, I just think Miami's kind of – their guards are built for tournament play. You know, they're clutch. They can just – hit those tough kind of in-between floaters. They got a lot of touch. Um, and they're actually – I can't – hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Um, but the kid they have down low can actually block some shots. Wardenburg. Wardenburg came up with two blocks in this game. Um, he had some blocks in the ACC tournament match when they uh, matched up against Duke. He's a lot better than I thought he was down low. Um, you know, he looks kind of soft. He's a little bit skinny. But he plays tough for them. Wong was just in the first half was scoring everything. Um, McGusty's great. Charlie Moore managed to not shoot him out of this one. So basically just everything I thought they could do, they were able to do. I still worry about Charlie Moore um, in this matchup coming up, but uh, him and Tyrese Hunter should be fun. Well, that's a good point though. Um, Our one concern for Auburn all season that held them back in this game and it showed its head at specifically is their their backcourt decision making i thought especially down the stretch wendell green and katie davidson were awful 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 rush shots um just they were bad and it came back to finally bite them in the ass in this one when it mattered the most yeah and then i mean jabari smith goes three for 16 uh just a poor shooting night for him felt like kind of everything worked against auburn in this one yeah um Peyton, Kansas got a little bit of a scare against Creighton. Creighton was playing with nothing to lose. Uh, you know, their head coach, had McDermott, had came out and said, because they're banged up, they're, they're down a couple players, key players, you know, especially Nimhard. Uh, not a deep bench. He said pregame that they're just going to let it fly, and they gave Kansas all they wanted and more. Remy Martin was the difference maker in this game. He had like, I think, I'm not even going to pull the stats up. He had like 16 points, a couple assists, was hitting some shots. He, especially in the late game situation, he he's a proven guy that he can go get a bucket whenever he wants. It's just, is it a good shot or is it a not a good shot? He's too, I wouldn't say inconsistent. He just got to pick it and choose his moments to when he wants to take over. But, and we talked about it last week, in a tournament like this, where God play means pretty much everything in these situ- type of situations. Remy Martin's that type of player that he can put a, sh- put a string together of six great 
games that he hasn't put together all damn season. And we can get to the national championship and potentially win it. But most importantly, with this game, I was hearing, yeah, go with ahead. this win, we officially tie Kentucky on the all-time wins list. Uh, we need one more. If we beat Providence in the Sweet 16, then we overtake Kentucky as the number one most winningest program of all time. First time since the mid-90s, somebody other than Kentucky will have that that uh, bragging rights. Hey, let's go up to the South region. Some really good matchups in that second round. Villanova withstands Ohio State's late charge to move on to another Sweet 16. Michigan continues their big run. They beat up Tennessee. That was a good game for the most part, but Michigan's size, Juwan Howard said, all right, we know Tennessee's big and physical, but we're just going to give it right back to them. And Michigan made the most plays down the stretch and was able to stop the red-hot Tennessee Volunteers to move on to Sweet 16. Another one of those teams, you think about Syracuse in the years past, or even UCLA last year that maybe not even been in the tournament. Now they're in the Sweet 16. They've got the size. They've got the talent. They're playing with confidence. Um, man, Kenny Chandler was really good in this game again, but Hunter Dickinson just took over in the block. Anybody gonna say anything? Hunter Dickinson just—I was Hunter Dickinson just continues to go and show that you know he's usually uh, the leader of Michigan, and I mean besides uh, Caleb Houston, he sat there and showed up in another dominant force. I mean, he, I feel like if he goes, Michigan, Michigan gets rolling eventually. If he goes, well, quick, Michigan has all the talent in the world to go to a Final Four. I mean, they've proven that. It's—it's it's not. It doesn't take a genius to know that, that they have the talent. Guys like Caleb Houston, Musa Dupiate, that's five-star athletes. Uh, Hunter Dickinson was a former five-star last year. He lit um, He lit the, his first year up. And they have the talent. And nobody from Tennessee really had an answer for Hunter Dickinson at all, especially in the low post area. John Falkerson couldn't do much against him. I can't tell you, I can't think of the other big man for Tennessee. He's number 10, I think he is. Um I can't think of his name on top of my head, but he couldn't really stifle Hunter Dickinson. And the best part about Hunter Dickinson, I think Jared Turner mentioned in the game thread, he's like a slower version of uh, Nikolai Jovich from yep. the NBA. He can stretch it out. He can hit shots. He can, He's really good in the low post areas. He has been tremendous in these couple of games for uh, Michigan. So... Yeah, um, and let me. Uh, I got one thing to. I got one thing to say, Josh, and you guys can all sit there and finally bask in it. UCLA is starting to eventually make me a little bit of a believer that they're the real deal. Yeah, man. They uh, they were down early to St. Mary's, and then they just put a run on them. They're, I mean, they're playing with that pedigree that we seen last year. I was going to stay in the South though, because you talk about a pair of games up there too. In a controversial cause, Phil, I know this is your team. It sucks to get put out. It's another early first round or first week in exit with a lot of talent. Man, your guys had a good game going against Houston. Kelvin Sampson's a genius. We all counted them out early, you know, a couple months ago when the injuries happened, but they're putting it together. They win the AAC conference tournament. No reason on paper they should have been close to Illinois in this game, but we talked about it. Illinois flirted with disaster against Chattanooga and kind of similar to Iowa. When they don't hit threes, they don't beat too many teams, and they did not shoot the ball well against Houston. And I'll let you take it over since it's your team. That controversial, we alluded to it in the start of the show, but that hanging on the rim tech completely bullshit and changed the course of this game. 
Absolutely. That was literally one of the worst technicals I've ever seen, but the bad officiating went both ways, which honestly, it just made me feel a little bit better because the officiating is not what cost us that game overall. I mean, maybe two minutes into the game, they called one of the weakest flagrant ones I've ever seen because the guy wrapped Kofi up as he went up for a layup, just total bullshit. It was a soft foul. Uh, and it was a foul, but it wasn't a flagrant. Um, like you said, I, I felt like Illinois was gaining some momentum when they got that dunk from RJ Melendez on the fast break. And what do they want the fucking kid to do? They want him to sling himself into the first row and kick somebody in the face. Like, I don't understand That's what, what they wanted them to do. Yeah. before We had a big old, like, five, 10 minute discussion before you joined us uh, about the refereeing and this decision specifically, but it it really did change the course of the game. Yeah, it did. But like I said, it was not the officiating that cost Illinois this game. I mean, I'm not sure that I've seen maybe a handful of times a team have more trouble getting the ball inbounds over the entire course of a game than Illinois did. I mean, it was just, repeated bad inbounds after bad inbounds, particularly off the baseline. They could not figure out they, – they weren't running any kind of set. They kept getting it to Kofi in the corner where he would just very easily get doubled. Um, it was – Illinois looked poorly coached, to be honest with you. Brad Underwood just – he didn't look like he had him ready to go at all. Two things I, from two things uh, for me, and I'll let Josh uh, say what he wants to say. Two things for me that stood out mostly in this game – uh, for Illinois is for one, they couldn't hit shots. They struggled offensively to get into a rhythm. And especially in the first shot, they had a lot of open, good looks. And they just could not. It looked like there was a lid on their side of the rim because they could not get anything falling. Matter of fact, they shot 24% from three point six or 25. Ooh. Houston didn't shoot that good either. They shot a little bit better at 27.3. But another thing I want to talk about is the rebounding battle. Houston won the rebounding battle 39 to 33, which it felt like Houston just dominated y'all off the, off the glass. Clearly, stats wise, it doesn't seem that way. But there was one possession I mean, I, I, I remember specifically in the first half, I think it was, where Illinois gave up in one single possession. They gave up three back to back offensive boards to Houston. And I don't know if they scored off that or not, but Houston just relentlessly just crashing the offensive glass. It seemed like y'all just could not keep them off the glass whatsoever. We had no answer for anything they did. I mean, like you said, we, by every measure, we're bigger than them, a lot bigger. We should have been able to dominate the boards. We couldn't, Um, you know, Kofi wasn't drawing fouls like he normally does. He was, when he was getting to the line, he was sinking his free throws. So that was awesome. But yeah, Illinois just, again, I don't want to harp on the coaching, but they didn't look prepared offensively. The Houston defense, especially late in that game, um, you know, we mentioned the momentum shift off of uh, the the technical, but Illinois was outscored 22 to 10 after that point. And I don't think they scored for the final two and a half minutes of the game. Uh, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. And it wasn't just the shot making, like you mentioned, it was turnovers all game. I already mentioned the inbounding, but Kofi could not pass out of a double team. I don't know how you have a guy for, who's been there for three years who can't pass out of a double team. Um, it, it just, they didn't look ready to go. Completely agree. Um, and it's another, like I said, uh, with high expectations. It's another early exit. Sum up real quick um, in 60 seconds or less, sum up the, your, your boys season and kind of where you think you go from here. Cause I'm hearing that you guys might land former Kentucky recruit, Sky Clark. So the, and also maybe at the same time lose Andre Curbelo 
pure speculation. We'll get into more later on as the season ends. But sum up your se- your team season, your thoughts, feelings moving forward. I think overall the season is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, we're never really quite able to get healthy. You know, we expected Curbelo to be a kind of player of the year candidate. He clearly was not ready to step into that role, even when he was healthy. Um, you know, I'm a little disappointed for Trent Frazier that we weren't able to get him a sweet 16 run. You know, he's started more games than any Illinois player ever. But uh, going forward, I do think the future's bright. Um, you mentioned it, possibility of getting Sky Clark, but the guys they do have signed, you know, Jaden Epps is an absolute stud lead guard. I think he steps in right away next year and is able to contribute. Um, hopefully, RJ Melendez and Goody get more minutes. Um, if Kofi sticks around, I think, you know, Illinois is right back in the hunt for a Big Ten title and a second weekend appearance next year. And if he doesn't, I think they're a tournament team, but I think they're going to have to have a lot of guys step up, um, you know, Coleman Hawkins particularly. I think it's fair. The other one real quick in that same region, um, guys, end of the game, it's Arizona TCU tied ball game. Yes or no, was that a foul? Because clearly it looked like, Arizona, Dale and Terry ran over the TCU guard, knocked him across half court. That looked like a foul to me, and the referee swallowed his whistle. If he calls the foul, TCU shooting free throws, a one, I think it was a one-on-one or a double bonus at the end of the game to potentially pull another upset of a one seed. Uh, you, you can't swallow the uh, you can't swallow the whistle in that situation when it's clearly contact. Well, and did you say another they, time that a uh... I was just gonna say, did you say another time that it was a bad officiating? Huh, that's yeah, weird. I know, man. It's almost like they've never had one. It's just their only time this season. Yeah, oh, it's so weird. I mean, you, how do you call that a, or not call that a foul, but not call it backcourt violation either? Like, it's got to be one or the other. So at the very least, you got to blow the fucking play dead. Like, yeah, it's like you forgot the rules of basketball. He did pretty much. Yeah, that was a foul. Hundred percent a foul. He pretty much tackled him. Insanity. Arizona Arizona survived. Go ahead, Corey. I was just saying the cat got his whistle or something. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Arizona survives to go to a Sweet 16. Um, You got to feel for TCU in that situation. But now the Sweet 16 set. This is what we're getting into. We'll go matchup by matchup. We'll try not to take a whole lot of time on these matchups. But we'll start in the West. This is the only region that held chalk. We got one Gonzaga versus four Arkansas. Peyton, I'll let you start on this one. Well, man, if Drew Timmy continues to play the way he's been playing, especially in that game against Memphis in the second half, then I I, I love JT Note. Like I mentioned before, and I, I'm a huge um, fan of Eric Musselman, the must bus. However, I don't think that they'll be able to withstand uh, Andrew Nimhard, Russell Bolton, and really the size of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. I don't think they're going to be able to stop them specifically, especially the backcourt of Andrew Nimhard and Russell Bolton. So I think Arkansas could be in trouble. And I see after having a huge scare in the second round against Memphis, I think Gonzaga pretty much wins this game pretty handily around, I say, double digits. Corey? You're muted. Corey, you're muted. Oh, sorry. Uh, I would sit there and, I mean, Peyton, you kind of touched on everything that I would say. Uh, I think Gonzaga has the size. I think Gonzaga has the guard play. I think Gonzaga uh, puts a stop to Eric Musselman's run. 
Uh, I just don't think Arkansas has enough this year to sit there and kind of put a, a stop to them. I think uh, I think Gonzaga wins it in the know around 89-71. Phil? I think this game looks uh, eerily similar to the Gonzaga-Memphis game. Arkansas controls the first half. Gonzaga comes out and just dominates with their offense in the second half. Uh, I don't think it ends up big, but I got Gonzaga by 7, 88-81. You tucked the words right out of my mouth. We're in the same page because Gonzaga has been down, down late in both of their games so far. Eventually, it's going to come back to bite them. They're going to have to start putting teams away like they normally do. If not, they will get knocked out of this tournament. Arkansas has the pieces to do it. J.D. Note, we've talked about it all year, can go get you 30, 40 points. But they're going to need, especially in this game, a guy like Jalen Williams to stay on the floor, stay out of foul trouble, and to hold his own. If he can play well and neutralize uh, Timmy specifically, then Arkansas has got a chance. I love the individual matchup of Note versus um, Nimhard. I think that'll be fun. But I think Gonzaga has too many weapons that haven't played the greatest, like a Bolton or even the freshman Hunter Salas or one of those. Uh, I see, like you said, Phil, I see Arkansas leading this game pretty late and then Gonzaga going to one of those kill shots to win this game. But they cannot toy with these teams. And I'm not saying they're doing purpose, but they're going to run into a team as we go down the tournament that if they get down too much, they're not going to come back from. So we've all got Gonzaga moving to lead eight. Let's go to the other matchup, Texas Tech Duke. This is I've had this one when we previewed it last week. I'm staying with my same pick. Duke struggled against Michigan State, but they were able to grow up. The freshman down the stretch made huge plays. Ben Caro, Griffin, and especially the clutch shot by Jeremy Roach. But you do not play, you do not play around with Texas Tech. Mark Adams in that defense. I'm sticking with it. I've got Texas Tech taking Coach K down. And in his career, I've got Texas Tech. Yep, I agree with you, Josh, like we did last week. I'm going to agree with you again. Texas Tech, too physical, defensively just incredible. And I just think they're too tough, too physical for Duke to withstand. So Texas Tech gets the job done. Yeah, uh, I was with you guys last week, had Texas Tech win in this game, but uh, sort of changed my tune a little bit, and I think Duke finds a way to win. Uh, Texas Tech's offense worries me a little bit. And uh, I, th- I think Duke just finds a way to have one of those games where they hit it on all cylinders. And I like Duke big in this one. I'm going to go against Phil just because uh, we agreed way too much the last time I was on. I'm going with Texas Tech. <laughs> 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 uh, I just oh, thought... go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just getting ready to say, I didn't know if you had finished the thought, but I was getting ready to say that sets oh. up the lead eight matchup for the three of us, Gonzaga, Texas Tech, and I'm sticking with it. Gonzaga is going to mess around and play with one of these teams that they can't come back from because Texas Tech defensively is strong-minded. They will control the tempo of the game. And if they get Gonzaga down like the other teams, like Memphis got them down seven, eight points, Texas Tech's good enough to salt the game away. I've got Texas Tech going to another Final Four. Yeah, I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, So the bracket that I chose Kentucky to lose to St. Peter in, is looking pretty good, and I actually have that Texas Tech Duke matchup. That's not relevant. That's not relevant. Oh, oh sorry, what? sorry, sorry, sorry. I, did I throw that back out there? Man, it just it kind of came up. It's just weird. Well, that yeah, that, me. That, that dust from the that last banner is getting to your brain, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, not only that. I mean, that's not relevant to this conversation. Like IU hasn't been relevant in the last two decades. Oh, so. <laughs> moving on. Oh, uh, I got Texas Tech. I got Texas Tech being in Zaga like I did last week. Um, 
this is where I think, Josh, your point comes to where Gonzaga is playing too much with these teams or letting these teams hold on for too long. This is where I think it's going to come to bite them with deep with Texas Tech's physicality, defensively, and Mark Adams. I, if the game's close, I don't think he's going to let these boys falter like the Memphis did. So Texas Tech gets the job done, punches the ticket to another Final Four. So I got Gonzaga Duke here, and I'm not changing my tune because I have the Zags winning it all still. And uh, again, I don't want to pick too many blowouts, but I think Gonzaga matches up with Duke well, and I think they run Duke off the floor in this one, take advantage of Duke's inability to you know, consistently defend shooters. And I like Gonzaga in like a 90-72 to 72 game to send uh, wow. Coach K home. Wow. So you got him uh, revenging the loss from December. I do. I think Gonzaga's playing. Duke was actually playing better basketball in December than they are now. Interesting. Okay. And I think Gonzaga's playing much better now than they were then. Let's go over to the <laughs> South region here. We've got one seat Arizona, five seat Houston. I- I'm done doubting Kelvin Sampson because he's going to have the Cougars in this game by hook or crook. But Arizona, I, I still believe in them. They're my national championship pick, and I'm still rocking with Arizona. But I do think Houston finds a way to keep this close. It came to fruition in the TCU game. If the game is close, Benedict Mathen is going to be the best player of the floor, and he's going to make some big-time shots. So if this game's close within a couple minutes left in the game, then I'm picking Arizona because they are my – I do have them crowned as my national champion. However, watching Houston these last two games, defensively they're incredible, especially without their two best players and Marcus Sasser. Um I think they're incredible. If they can control the offensive glass or control the glass, period, that Houston could upset Arizona. I don't think it's going to happen. Arizona wins, though. I think uh, I think Arizona's joining Louisville, sitting at home watching college basketball. <laughs> I, I think I, th- I think Calvin Sampson, uh, you know, he uh, another former Indiana guy that's you know leading a program to you know higher higher ranks, but. I think uh, I think Houston sits here and takes it. Oh God, I like this little rivalry we got going on here. <laughs> I know. I no, it's it's not a rivalry. No, it's not a rivalry because <laughs> the other team has to win first. <laughs> did, did Louisville win a game this year, Harley? Oh God! Yeah, we did. <laughs> we won a couple. All right, Phil, go Maybe. ahead. <laughs> Nobody has a, a leg up in this one because all of our teams are sitting at home right now. But, uh, uh, no, 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 lie. I got Kansas. <laughs> uh, you're not allowed to have two teams. Come on. Yes, yeah, I, I was going to say, we can't. <laughs> yes, all right, I well, do. in that case, yes, I, I got the field. How's that? Yeah. No. But let's get into this Arizona Houston I like Arizona in this one. Um, as much as I – I had not seen a ton of Houston basketball this year and uh, was very impressed with them coming off that Illinois game. But it, Arizona has depth in the front court. You know, they got Coloco. They got Zabulis. They they just have depth all over. Daylon Terry, uh, hopefully Kirk Creasel will be back. Peyton mentioned Ben Matherin. Arizona's just got a ton of talent. Um, I think Houston will keep it close for about 35 minutes and Arizona pulls away at the end. Um, 72 to 61. Then the other one, we've got 11 seed Michigan versus two seed Villanova. This will be a hell of a game. Uh, Villanova size, their ability to close games out with a closer like Colin Gillespie, but damn Michigan's playing with a lot of momentum, their size. I've got an upset fellas. I didn't when we did this last week, because honestly I had Tennessee being in this spot, but 
I think Michigan is a bad matchup for Villanova because of the size. They, if they crash the glass like they have been in this tournament, then they can get second, third, even fourth opportunities. And I just think they're going to wear Villanova down um, unless Villanova comes out and just hits a bunch of threes early. But I've got Michigan on the upset. I love the momentum. I think Juwan Howard is, you know, I think he's confident in his abilities right now. And they're playing well. This is a bad matchup for Villanova. I thought they matched up way better with Tennessee than they did uh, Michigan. Yeah, I'll step in here. Um, I don't – I actually agree with you that I don't like the matchup for Villanova. I do think this is a bad matchup for them. But I think that Villanova has this kind of team of destiny type feel to them, and I think they managed to uh, pull out a win here, but tight uh, 64 to 60. Yeah, I got Villanova winning in this game. Michigan won. Uh, Michigan won ends today. It ends in this game because when you got the best closer in college basketball and the best winner in college basketball, Colin Gillespie, you always have a chance to win, especially with the play of Jermaine Samuels over this past couple of games. Really, his, he stepped up big time as a huge offensive force for them. Uh, I just like uh, – uh, not Carolina. I just like Villanova's death and Colin Gillespie as a dog. So, Villanova wins. Peyton, I'm sorry you're wrong. <laughs> Josh, I have to agree with you. The only thing that I think you said wrong was I don't think they need third and fourth chance opportunities. I think Michigan is going to shoot the ball well. I think they're going to sit there and jump out. I think that, you know, overall they're a bad matchup. And I think Michigan ends up uh, continuing this uh, little run they got and uh, pull off the upset. Yeah, I worry about Villanova not being able to have anybody that matches up with Hunter Dickinson. And the only counter to that really is – zone and they don't really mix a whole lot of zone in so I, I like Michigan so that sets up Arizona Michigan which to me in a lot of ways they're similar they're both big they're both athletic um they can play it at either style they can get up and down the floor they can slow down Arizona has a little too much offense I think that's the difference in this game consistent offense but I think they're in a weird way I think they're mirror images of each other I've got Arizona winning a very fun game though something like 82-79, but I've got Arizona still. So I uh, got Nova and Arizona here, and I st- I'm i going to stick with Nova. You know, again, I've had them go to the Final Four since we did our brackets. Um, I don't really have any logic behind it, though. Like, if I'm being honest with you, if I look at the way these teams match up and everything, I think Arizona matches up better. Uh, Arizona's more talented across the board. Uh, so don't go bet your house on Villanova, but I, I I just have a feeling they pull it out. Yeah, I got as I got Arizona taking on Villanova. This game's tough, like Phil mentioned, and I don't know how I wanted to um, really preview this game because I think both teams are super talented. Matter of fact, I'll go as far as saying this: I think whoever wins this game, I would probably predict them to win the national championship this year. That's how good these two teams are. I'm a huge fan of Villanova. I'm a huge fan of what Arizona has done this year. But I think ben, Benedict Mathurin, Christian Coloco, guys like that. And who's the who's the point guard, the dude that fucking his ankle was like swollen up and like purple Kirk and blue. And shit. Thank you. Him as well. I cannot think of his name. I just think they got a little bit more depth than what uh, Villanova has. Either way, like I said, whoever wins this game. I got Arizona winning. But whoever wins this game, I think I'm going to pick them to win my national championship. 
So my matchup's a little bit different. I got uh, I got Houston versus Michigan, and uh, I think uh, I think Houston, Calvin Sampson, take it. I think uh, I think that's just my uh, my final my final say for that. <laughs> Good insight. Uh, let's go to the East. Eight seed North Carolina for UCLA. This is a championship, you know, blue blood matchup here, dude. You got to ride the momentum. I know UCLA's got the background. They've been there last year, but man, I'm not betting against Hubert Davis in this situation. His ball club, as long as out of foul trouble, uh, North Carolina, and I think they stretch it late. So uh, I like UNC in this one. Um, there's a an advanced metrics called a shot quality, and he did a graph of the 16 teams that are remaining and who takes the best shots versus who takes the worst, who has the best shot making, et cetera. And uh, UCLA takes the worst quality of shots of any team remaining based on this metric, um, but they have the highest shot making ability. I think that their shot making ability runs out in this one and uh, Carolina runs them off the floor again. And I, I'm predicting a lot of upsets this week or not upsets, uh, blowouts, excuse me, but I like Carolina 8870. Uh, I'm going to break it down like this. In games like this, point guard play means a lot. To me, it does. And the way Caleb Love has been playing, he's been playing. He's been playing a little bit better. I know he had that huge game against Marquette when he had like twenty-five points. But really, all season he's shown that his decision making has not been the best. Um, and I think in a game like this, Tiger Campbell is going to make him uncomfortable, and he's going to make him force bad shots, and he's going to make him feel like he needs to do more when he really doesn't. He really just needs to give the ball to Mondo Riquet, let him go to work, and give the ball to R.J. Davis and Brady Manick. And Hamai Hakez Jr., he's been playing pretty much – he's been playing pretty, a little bit better here lately as well. I think UCLA gets the job done, goes goes again. UCLA gets the job done, the Bruins. Phil, you're never going to believe this one. I don't know if you are on the show when I sat there and said it a minute, couple minutes ago. The UCLA Bruins are starting to, you know, make me a little bit of a believer here. And I think they uh, – I think they send North Carolina home. I think uh, – I think they hit some shots. I think they sit there and finally, you know, they continue the run here. So I'm taking UCLA. Can't hardly can't hardly stay or believe that I'm saying it, but I believe so. And then the other one, we have three Purdue against 15 seed Cinderella, St. Peter's. I think the difference is the week preparation. I think St. Peter's is able to catch Kentucky and Murray State slightly off guard. But you give Purdue, I know their defense, we've talked all year. It's in the above the 100 range it has been. But, man, if you watch the game against Texas, Jaden Ivey, Zach Eady, especially Travion Williams, I do think that they'll have enough defense to conjure up and the size, even more so the Kentucky threw at St. Peter's. I just think that the, the story ends here and Purdue moves on to Elite Eight. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, clock's hitting midnight for Cinderella here. I do think St. Peter's hangs for maybe five, eight minutes, something like that. But ultimately, they have absolutely no one who can match up with Edie inside. Um, they don't have anybody that can match the athleticism of Ivy. And I think Purdue just handles it very easily. Well, I'm going to go real quick because I might have a feeling who Corey might predict in this game since he did it in the Kentucky one. Um, <laughs> So I'll go first on this. I'll go first on this. Hey, they, if they do this, St. Peter's will be his second favorite team. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They uh, already are. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> yeah, I agree. I think Phil said the athleticism of Jaden Ivey, nobody's going to be able to contain him. Um, and nobody, really anyone in the country, I don't think anybody can uh, hold uh, or control um, Zach Eady, especially off the glass. So Purdue's going to dominate this one, I think. I hate to say it, and it's, it's heartbreaking to say. It's really, really heartbreaking to say, just so you guys know this. But I think Purdue runs away from him for a full 40 minutes. I think there's not a chance that uh, St. Peter's continues this run. It's been fun supporting him, but there's not a chance they even come out and battle for five minutes, in my opinion. I think Purdue I th- runs away with it, and it's ugly. I think the big difference, and you guys can all probably agree on this, is the week preparation. I, I really do think part yep. of it, they caught Kentucky and Murray State by surprise because you only have a day in between to really prep for it. You know – Matt Painter is breaking this down, but it, it goes down to lead eight for me. I've got North Kakalaki and Purdue, a rematch, another rematch that we've seen from back earlier in the year. Purdue dominated this one. I think Carolina is well equipped to battle them, but guys, I'm sticking with my preseason prediction. I thought then Purdue was a final four team. The bracket opened up very nicely for them. Now I've got Purdue going two and zero against North Carolina this year. Very fun game. Maybe not a whole lot of defense being played. So I'm going to say Purdue wins 91-87. Purdue makes it back to the Final Four for the first time since 1980. Yeah, I got Purdue and and Carolina here too. Um, And I'm sort of the same mind as you, Josh. I I think it'll be a little bit closer than the first time. I think Carolina makes some adjustments. They're just playing better basketball right now. Um, I did not like Purdue to come out of this bracket originally, but again, you took the words right out of my mouth. It sort of just opened up in their favor. Um, I think Purdue takes this one, you know, five point margin, 80, 75. Yeah. I got Purdue taking on UCLA, UCLA in this one. And like y'all said, ever since when Kentucky got beat and then Baylor got beat at the top of the region, this whole bracket just opened up for Purdue just to get to the final four. And I think that's going to hold true. So I'm going to agree with y'all. Purdue gets the job done, no matter who they really face in that top region. Yeah, I uh, I got the same exact matchup of UCLA-Purdue. Um, my run of believing in uh, UCLA comes to a close really quickly. I think uh, I think Purdue moves on uh, in this situation. Uh, the only thing I do have to throw out there is how many times do you hear that uh, Matt Painter gets out coached? Uh, so you know that's the uh, that's the only thing that I always sit there. Oh and, God, know. I can't wait till they make the Final Four and our sponsor and friend J.R. Rose shuts the hell up finally about Matt Painter. They can win fifty <laughs> games, make the Final Four, and he's like, "Oh, fire Painter, fire Painter." God, Matt Painter's a great coach, and finally they're going to shut some people up for a while. Um, Let's move to the Midwest, the last one. We got one Kansas versus four Providence. Peyton, this is your team. I'll let you take the first volley of it. So this is one of them what I was talking about. I was listening to John Fanta and Rob Dowster, and I don't remember who the other one was on the show this morning, but they kind of bought a lot to this situation for me because, like, with Purdue, this whole region for Kansas really opens up to get to the Final Four. With Auburn losing um, to Miami, um, Wisconsin, I think, losing to Colt, not Colgate, whoever they lost in the second round. Iowa um, State. Iowa State, thank you. This whole region opens up for Kansas to get to the Final Four. This is actually a, t- a tougher matchup than I originally thought. And here's why. For one, what Wimmy Martin are we going to get in this game? Are we going to get the good Wimmy Martin that goes out and gets about 20 points a game? If we do that, then I don't think 
anyone from Providence is going to withhold him, and I think we'll win this game. However, Providence runs flex offense. When in the hell has Kansas played a flex offense all season? That and I know Bill Self, he has a week to prepare for that, so I'm sure he's trying to get his guys ready for that and really explaining but and how to defend it. But still, when you haven't faced that all season long, and then the first time you're going to face it is a Sweet 16 matchup against Providence, that's going to be tough to play against. I do think Kansas wins this game, though. I think Ochayo Baji shows why, at one point, he was my favorite to win the player of the year. I think David McCormack is playing his ass off here recently. And I think Lenny Martin's going to have a great game as well. Kansas wins in a close six-point game. So uh, I I had Kansas winning this in my bracket originally, and and the more I think about about it, I just I like the way Providence stepped up this past weekend. You know, they they kind of answered the questions I had about them. I, I think Providence takes this one. I love the guard play they have. I think Bynum has a big game. I think they use Durham to close it out. Nate Watson, you know, can can give uh, Kansas some problems down low. I like Providence in this one, uh, 70-64. Uh, oh, God. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm piggybacking off Phil. I'm going to cut Corey. I know he wants to win, damn it. So, we're tied, baby. My coach of the year, Ed Cooley, he's already secured it. We're getting to the Sweet 16, and by God, they're going to the Elite Eight because, because. They are too damn tough, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Kansas, the one thing it has in their favor, Peyton mentioned flex offense. That's that's a great point. But the one thing that Kansas does have in their favor is they spent the whole Big 12 season playing teams that are tough. Baylor, Texas Tech, even Texas to a degree, uh, Iowa State, et cetera, et cetera, that are tough. So it's not going to be anything new. But Providence is playing with a confidence that is unmatched right now. They have dudes, and if it's late in the game, they have their closer, Al Durham. And do you really trust? I know he's played well in the tournament thus far, but do you trust David McCormack to be the guy to get you buckets when needed? Because Nate Watson and Providence will be physical with him, and I don't trust it. I've got Providence on the upset going to the lead eight. First time, by the way, back in the Sweet 16 since 1997. 1997, what a year, because history is remaking itself because Providence has taken this win over Kansas. I think, uh, just saying, Kansas and Kentucky are going into next year to see who battles out for the most all-time wins because oh, it's God. not continuing anymore. You talk about our preseason next year. Boy, that's being one of the <laughs> yeah, big storylines. Yeah. Real quick. Oh, uh, yeah. Who? Can I make a phone call real quick? Can I call Tyler Cook so he can come up here and help me out here? Because, my God, I got a 1v3 all of y'all. Man, I went to pick this damn hoodie on for a reason. It's rock chalk. It's the blue and red. We are beating Providence. I don't give a damn who we face. I, I don't give a damn what happens. Kansas will at least win this game. We can lose in the damn lead eight. I don't give a damn if we lose in the lead eight. Just please win this game, please. Is that so waterproof? <laughs> is that, oh, is that waterproof over there? Uh, listen, I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> Princeton in the women's game is actually beating IU by like two points with like four minutes to go. I, so. Actually, uh, Indiana's up 51 to 50, but you know, we're just taking care of what Kentucky couldn't. Shut your right. mouth. God, you're, gonna, you're trying to start heat everywhere. No wonder we're not having you on next week. 
You got baseball. The other matchup, though, a pair of high-ranked seeds, 11-seed Iowa State, 10-seed Miami. Both probably shouldn't be here, but uh, styles clash, I guess, really. Um, Iowa State's played some ugly games, but able to win them. Miami's got the good backcourt. Like Phil says, I'm going to take a page out of Phil's book here. I'm going Miami to the lead eight. We got the Cyclones taking on the Hurricanes in the Windy City. <laughs> oh, God, that's a good point. Holy shit, that's a good – that is great. Hey, you know what? I pit my Kansas Jayhawks hoodie on for a reason. Kansas or like Charlie Moore is a former Kansas player who plays for Miami. I'm a Hurricane fan for this game only. Hurricanes get the job done. I bet for the winner, too, there's going to be a lot of sucking and blowing. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) I got to keep it short and sweet. Canes all day. I got, you know, the big thing is the Hurricanes always bigger than just the Cyclone. I I got to agree with this one. I think Miami wins. And then that sets up for three of us. Providence versus Miami. Winner goes to the Final Four. And then the most unlikely of Final Four contestants, Guys, I'm staying with Providence, man. Uh, something about Ed Cooley. He deserves to get to a Final Four, National Coach of the Year. Um, you got to feel good for him. Let's let's ride with Providence, baby. I, uh, I I'm I'm going with the upset, man. I I love Jim Laranega, and uh, I think he makes his return to the Final Four, and, and Miami pulls the upset over Providence. I mean, I keep it simple. Uh, we're going us three in the correct matchup will be uh, Providence moving on. Man, you all three can kiss my ass on this one. Uh, I got Kansas <laughs> taking on Miami. Charlie Moore hasn't he transferred like so many times? I can't even keep track at this point. Yeah. So he's who he's like, he went from like what Cal to Kansas to DePaul, and now he's on Miami or something like that. Yep. Listen, he left Kansas because he couldn't compete. Okay. Let's just keep it a buck a buck. He couldn't compete. He couldn't be the best player on the floor for Kansas. So he left and went to DePaul. That didn't work out. So now he's with Miami. And hats off to him because I think he's done a great job at Miami. He probably, he fits in well with them. However, Kansas, it's Bill Self. We're getting back to the Final Four. Kansas wins this game against Miami. Beats their ass by 15 or more. Well, that, man, there, there's our uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight previews. Uh, before we get out of here tonight, we've already plugged Peyton's new show, Inside the Yum Podcast. Phil, real quick, tell us about your experience covering uh, NC State's second-round victory, the women's side for ECB today. Oh, man, it was an awesome environment. Reynolds Coliseum was popping off before the tip-off even. Um, just it was, a, it was a good game early. Uh, Kansas State could not hang with uh, NC State. Wes Moore came out with a great fucking game plan to keep the ball out of Aoka Lee's hands. Um, big shout out to Camille Hobby. Uh, she stepped up big. Alyssa Kinane went out in foul trouble, and Camille Hobby stepped in and just shut Aoka Lee down. But uh, it was a great time, and uh, honestly, just super proud of those girls. Senior class heads out of Reynolds Coliseum winners onto the uh, Sweet 16 next week, and uh, I just hope that they don't fucking you know get fucked by having to play connect bridgeport yeah that's crazy by the way real quick on the women's side hey how about a shout out to creighton going in that hospital they said what was the biggest or second biggest women's ncaa tournament crowd 
in I forty years or whatnot over in yeah, Iowa, and, yeah. and they go in and run a five out offense and hit a shit ton of threes and upset Iowa. What a fun atmosphere that was! But that game was fun as fuck to watch for, especially like the first like five minutes of the first quarter. Like it was just bang three after three, a big shot after big shot, and yeah, Clayton ended up getting the job done in a huge upset. So that is the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight previews. Fellas, when we come on here next week, we will have our final four set. Uh, the season's flying by, man. We've only got a couple more shows left in the regular season, and we turn our attention to the offseason stuff. Crazy times. Tournament kicks back off this Thursday with Sweet 16 action. Uh, keep, keep tuned. They released the schedules. I'd have to pull it up, but tip times and what regions go, but a lot of good stuff, fun, interesting matchups as this tournament always does. It's going to provide some thrills, spills and heartbreaks. Uh, so keep tuned to the TVs and keep tuned to ECB for all the tournament reaction coverage and everything you want, both on the Facebook and the Twitter page at ECB podcast 10. And of course the Facebook group, www.facebook.com slash groups slash everything college basketball. Rounding tonight's show out for Peyton, for Phil, and for Corey. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. We hope you guys enjoy this review and preview. Like I said, next week we'll be back with some Final Four action preview. Until then, hope you guys stay safe. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. And until next week, we'll see you down the road. Boom!